This is the MLW Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Front Row Material. My name is Mike Freeland. I am soon to be joined by my follically challenged co-host. His name is The Rit. Uh, we want to let you know we are brought to you by Future Stars Now. Speaking of Future Stars Now, if you did get a chance to check out our big episode we had last night, which was uh, a moved date uh, to a Monday night instead of obviously our traditional Tuesday, go ahead and check that out. You can catch that entire interview on demand. And that will also be posted to our YouTube channel. And if you would be so gracious to go over to our YouTube channel and go ahead and hit the like and subscribe, we would appreciate that. We're always looking to grow our audience. All right. So as you know, the Rid and I are filling in for Mikey and Jerry, who are still on sabbatical. So let's go ahead and let's bring him in. Let's bring in the man with the beard, yet still follically challenged. He is the Rid. Ritster, what's going on, buddy? Going on, Freeland. Been been a good twenty four hours. I was just about to say, you and I didn't we just do this dance before, and now we're back at it two days in a row. Hey, hey! Yesterday you let me lead. Today, time to you. We're we're doing the the samba. We're doing the the dance. You oh know what no I'm no about? no! We're doing no? a little. We're doing a little salsa. Ooh, we're doing a little Danny Limelight then, huh? Aren't we? Oh yeah. Nice. That's what I like. But you're doing well. I'm I'm doing great. I can't wait, man. This has been one of our most recent talked about guests. Everybody wants to see. Everybody wants to hear. Yeah, no, this is true. This has been somebody that I talked to many people, and they would love to hear what he has to say. And uh, with that being said, you know what? Let's go ahead and introduce him uh, to the wrestling world. He is known as Crowbar. Uh, he has performed in many different wrestling promotions and had a very successful career. Um, he also is a very successful uh, doctor himself. Uh, we, he has his own practice. So he's been successful not only in the world of professional wrestling, but also in the world of life itself. And we can't wait to get a chance to talk to him. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and let's bring him in here. Crowbar, what's going on, man? How you doing, buddy? How are you guys doing? Doing we great. are doing awesome. Awesome. So, first of all, thanks for carving out some time to uh, to be with us this evening. We do appreciate it. And, uh, you know, as we had mentioned in the intro, so many people have been wanting from our audience to hear from you because wow, cool. there's a lot of people who are big Crowbar fans. So, thank you for coming on. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. This is awesome. So the first thing I guess is how you've been doing ever since this whole craziness with the world's been going on. I mean, it's been anything but easy on everybody. So how have you been? How have you and yours been? Uh, thank God our business is essential. Uh, I own a physical therapy office and we were open the whole time. And although we slowed down a bit, we were, I'm very thankful we were able to remain open through all this 
craziest. I really felt bad for anybody that had a restaurant or a gym or a business like that. Really feel for those that with those people a lot. You know, it was a really bad time. I'm very thankful that we were able to remain open. I had to cut some hours here or there, but we re remained open. I had to work more. Uh, so it, it was really, really nuts. But thank God uh, I was able to keep working. My wife was able to keep working. And uh, our kids actually go to a Catholic school, which had in uh, in-person class. So our kids actually got together were masked up. They were in these little booths with like plastic around them and, and all that. So uh, it, it, it was rough, but uh, you know, thank God, hope, you know, we got through it and, and, and hopefully uh, we don't go back down that road again. You know, who knows, you know, which way the world's going now. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you hundred um, percent. I also teach at the Catholic school and, and we all agreed to meet in person as well. And nice. I think, I mean, not, I think, but kids need that kids Absolutely. need, because I think when you start to disrupt their early part of their life and the foundational blocks of building relationships with other students and just going through things kids should go through. And, you know, this is, um, it's a difficult time, but we need to focus on they, we need to keep their lives as consistent as possible at all costs. So, and just the whole dynamic, uh, if I was 12 or 13, which my kids are, and I, I and I was told you have to do your homework or do, do your classwork at a, a computer screen and sit there. And my mind would zone out completely, you know. And I feel really bad for the people that had to do this, and and I understand that a lot of people needed to. But I just know it was tough. Uh, I know if it was for me, <laughs> uh, growing up way back when they didn't diagnose ADD and ADHD, I definitely have it, and my mind would have been wandering out there i would have got nothing done so it's uh you know we're, we're real thankful that our kids are able were able to go and hopefully this school year kids will be able to go as well yes i could not agree more um you know i think the fasting thing about you is you're not only incredibly successful in wrestling but outside of wrestling as well um you know so many different things tell people about your life outside of wrestling just to kind of start things off here as far as working in the medical community okay well uh at 17 years old, I got called into my guidance counselor in high school. She goes, Chris, what do you want to do? And I say, I'm going to wrestle professionally and I want to be a physical therapist. And she looked like she looked at me like I had 18 heads. Uh, so I actually pursued wrestling and physical therapy at, at the same time. Uh, I'm a really big believer in delayed gratification. I went to school full time. I, I had my homework at night. I went to the gym. I wrestled on weekends. I had no social life at all, but I was pursuing two things that I was extremely, extremely passionate about. And, uh, you know, and throughout the years I would go on let the road for the weekend, drive here, drive there, go, go to the hotel when a show was done, have my school books. Wow. Whenever. Everybody was out partying and I was, uh, in, in, in the school books. And that was at a time when there was no online classes yet. It was all, you know, you had to open up your book. You had to, you know, open up your notebooks and all that. It was old school. Uh, and I, I always knew that I had to do that. Uh, uh, I, as, as I said, I got involved at, at 17 years old. Uh, I started going out on the independent scene and it's not a knock at all, but what I observed were there are a lot of veteran 
veteran wrestlers out there and they were doing it and they were miserable because they were doing it not because they wanted to do it, not because they passionately wanted to do it. They had to do it. And I said, that's not going to be me. I have to make sure that I, I keep pr pursuing the physical therapy along with the wrestling. So fast forward 20 years after WCW, I'm 47 years old. I feel great. And I'm in wrestling and because I freaking love it. I still, it's not fashionable within the wrestling industry to say how much you love the business. I freaking love this business. I love working hard. I don't go out there just to have a, a showing or to make an appearance. And if you ask anybody on the in, independence, they'll vouch for it. Uh, if, if you're booked in a match with me, I'm calling the promoter weeks ahead of time. Okay. I'm working with so-and-so. Can you send me some links of his, 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 videos i want to see what he likes to do i want to see his moves i want to see what he's all about because i want to tear, tear the house down so uh, so all through uh with the college i did some uh, wcw stuff did, did a uh wwe light heavyweight a tournament graduated worked for a year and then finally got signed to my full-time wcw thing so all through that time it was it was a physical therapy school Indies, ECW, WCW, WWE, back to WCW, and so on and so forth. <laughs> well, I'm just intrigued by your your artwork behind you. So love Star Wars, freaking love Star, uh, biggest Star Wars mark going. Okay, I, none. I've got to ask because Han Solo is staring at me right now. Yes. What's your what what is your most favorite Star Wars movie and what is the least favorite? It's not going to be popular but I'll support what I say. Return of the Jedi. Everybody'll say no, em Empire strikes back, Empire strikes back. I'll tell you why and it's all relative to when I grew up. You grow up, you see Star Wars. You see Empire strikes back, you find out Darth Vader is Luke's father. Mind-blowing. <laughs> and then you wait for Return of the Jedi. And I'll tell you why Return of the Jedi was so great for me. So Empire, you find out Darth Vader is Luke's father. They have a lightsaber duel. And I remember being in that movie theater and hoping Luke was going to kick his ass. Didn't happen. You, you, you go back and watch it out. Vader fights him with one arm. He's just messing with him. You fast forward to Return of the Jedi in wrestling terms. There's a lot of payoffs. You heard about Jabba the Hutt for all this time. You finally got to see. Didn't see Jabba the Hutt in the first Star Wars. Uh, in The Empire Strikes Back, you see the hologram of the Emperor. You don't see the Emperor. And, and then you finally get to see him in Return of the Jedi. And then you see badass Luke. Completes his training, goes with Yoda. He's dressed in black, totally badass. He goes into Jabba's palace, chokes out two guards with the force, and like, wow, this is awesome. And then at, at, at the end, you get that great duel uh, between him and Vader. Darth Vader makes the big baby face turn, throws the Empire, uh, the Emperor down the shaft, takes off his mask. It's just, it's loaded with payoffs that everybody wanted to see. And that's why I'll say, Return of the Jedi uh, is probably my favorite. My least favorite, you could probably throw out the entire whole new trilogy. Worse than the Star Wars 
Christmas special. <laughs> wow. Wow. Are you you're a big Star Wars fan, aren't you? Uh aren't you Ritster? Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, I am, but apparently uh, I've got to get a new backdrop. Uh, that, I, I have to one up him now. That is some beautiful artwork, my friend. And you you not only explained it, but you explained it where wrestling fans who don't know a lot about Star Wars yeah. would completely get it. So yeah. big payoffs. It, it was a big culmination of all these little these little things that have been built up over the years, over the years. You you find out Leia's Luke's brother. To me, uh Leia's Luke's sister, rather. To me, not a big payoff. I, I, I was like, oh wow, that's great. It was Darth Vader taking the mask off. It was seeing what Jabba the Hutt looked like, and he looked awesome. It was seeing the Emperor, and then for the first time, you saw Sith lightning. I'm like, that was badass. Wow. And then Vader turns. Turns good. And you see his face. Come on. Awesome. You can't beat that. that. Uh, Let me kind of ask you this, going back earlier on uh, with your career. You uh you were trained with Iron Mike Sharp, is that correct? Yes, I was. So uh, Iron Mike Sharp, I, I I have seen so much of him, and I feel like I know very little about Iron Mike Sharp. Obviously, you know we we know the way he would be brooding around the ring and whatnot. But is there anything you can tell us about Mike himself, the man? Um, what it was like getting to know him and then getting to study underneath him. The guys that train with Mike Sharp, and a lot of them will testify to this early early on mike trained that guy you saw on tv was how he trained and and it would probably sound crazy to people now mike sharp would come out black boots black trunks once in a while he would actually wear the forearm band he would oil up he came out and trained you like he was going to work at a medicine square garden he was he was in character he was meticulous he trained your heart and it wasn't until we were there a while that we actually got to see a little bit of like the more real mike sharp mike would get in there full gear from tv work aggressively and uh it, it was something else yeah he always looked like he was, uh, I mean, he stayed in character, like you said before, but was he kind of stiff? I mean, he looked like he could, if he wanted to, he was a big dude. He could lay a minute, looked like. Huge dude. And as growing up, when I was 17, you only saw Mike Sharp as the enhancement guy. When you watch his work now, when he would do house shows for WWE, so aggressive he he didn't stop and when you work that style he would get a guy and just not stop that that takes incredible wind incredible cardio and then i would think back mike would always be working out if he wasn't training with us he'd be off to the side jog in place be doing the tubes he had incredible cardio and I have such more of an appreciation for his work now when I go back and see it on the network or, you know, like an old video from like the house shows at MSG or something. He did not stop. He was aggressive. And when you're moving like that, when you have, when you're bumping or even when you're firing up on somebody to sell and to be vocally engaged, that's when you're tired, that's hard. That's a hard. So, he, he was pulling together the physical, he was animated, and he was also vocal. That's just a testament to what shape this guy was in.
you know. When you were training, was there anybody in your training class or anybody who you kind of bonded with uh, when you were kind of going through that with Mike? I, I would say myself, uh, my tag team partner for a very long time, Ace Darling, uh, Mike Supernova Bucci and his brother Donnie B was there. Uh, you know, those are, are the notable guys here. And of course, Jerry the Wall too. Uh, yep. And that was a really cool full circle thing my first match ever at mike sharps was a battle royal you know i was brand new so they threw me in, in the battle royal and i worked a lot with jerry toot uh at that time he was known as big john the lumberjack and uh we worked our first match together so then you fast forward whatever it was to uh 2000 2001 whatever it was and then we went from mike sharps gym and now we're feuding on WCW, and it was really a cool full circle moment that we were doing that. That was really, really special. Speaking of those early days, um, whether it be Mike or you know whether it be somebody else, was there anybody who ever pulled you aside and gave you some advice that even to today you look back on and you think, wow, that was something that was very profound that I've carried with me, whether it was pertaining to wrestling or just life or anything to that nature. Anybody did that for you that uh, still resonates with you today? So many people have given me good advice. Uh, actually, when I was 13 years old, I, I joined the gym at uh, in my hometown. And for the first time, I met a pro wrestler, an indie guy named Big Sweet William, who would later go on to be Crash the Terminator, who would go on to be Hugh Morris, who would go on to be Bill DeMott. Uh, I met him when I was 13 years old. And, and, and he'd be in there throwing around ridiculous weight. And I would ask him questions. I had to be the most annoying kid in the world. I was just this, like, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about the warrior? What do you think about Bret Hart? And, and he would always answer my questions. And then he saw, and and I saw it within myself that this passion for wrestling was becoming so strong that being a fan wasn't going to be enough. And I go, Bill, I'm going to do this. And he said, right then and there, uh, whatever you do, it's great to pursue this. Make sure you get an education. He goes, it's an unforgiving business it will never love you as much as it it will never love you as much as you love it and you, you have to find something that that will give you stability whether or not you make it in wrestling uh and that always uh, it, i always remember that and that was one of the things that helped to push me when i got involved like i said i saw a lot of the veterans and they they were there and they hated being there they hated it and they they were trapped and I always said, if I'm going to be there at 35, 45, 55, 60, who the hell knows? Uh, it's going to be because I love it and I, I want to do it. And that advice, he told me when I was 13 years old, it, it, it always stayed here. And I also got that same advice from uh, Jim Powers, who lived probably five, and, and five, five minutes away from me as well, also went to that gym gave me the very same advice and then uh both of them stayed right here and i even at the times when the schedule got crazy between school between work between wrestling between working out i just kept listening and i, I knew that if i just muscled through it that everything would be cool so at 13 you're talking to yes. wrestlers you're you're getting the the proverbial itch uh, but you also are getting some really good advice too. Um, Absolutely. You talk to the folks and uh, 
what do your folks think something like this at that age is kind of a phase all you know you know he's interested in this now what will happen um but is it lingered on and it continued what was your parents thoughts on you wanting to wrestle i mean obviously it's a very unique profession uh that not a lot of kids actually say that well in that time uh that they want to do uh so what was the initial thoughts from from the family thought it was a phase of course and then it got more and more real and then they say you you know god guides you in the direction i'm i hate to be preachy but i'm gonna like i'm just gonna say what i think god guides you in the, the direction you're meant to go in i injured my knees when i was 13 and 15 in high school uh and that's what led me to physical therapy otherwise you know who knows what i would have pursued uh there was a, uh, my sister's husband's brother's friend knew somebody on his trucking route. Go figure. Just at the very same time that I'm getting this itch, I'm getting this passion that's growing to be a pro wrestler. He meets a guy named Tom Rumsby and he works in a factory that's probably a two mile walk from me. And he, he proceeds to find out that he's opening up a wrestling school with Iron Mike Sharp in a year, a year and a half. Uh, I go, wow, this is too, I'm thinking even at that age, how profound that is that I'm seeking out how to do this. If you would read the after magazines, you would see the monster factory. It was a little far for me. It was way down South Jersey. That's not to say that if that was the only option, I wouldn't have found a way way to get down there, but uh, this opens up. It's it's about an, an hour, maybe an hour, an hour and a half further north, more do doable for me. Still, an an hour fifteen minute ride down, uh, and I find out that he's going to be opening up this school in Brick Township, New Jersey, and I immediately it's uh, during June. School's about to get out, so I'm training for football, uh, doing cardio, doing weights, and then I. I take a job at a, a catering hall Friday, double shifts during, during the summer, Saturday, double shifts, Sunday, double. I'm, I'm going to earn the money so that I could go to that school. So I worked my ass off Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Once I found out that that school was going to be opening up and that it was in a reasonable distance where I could, like, like, like I could still go to school and still go to there. Uh, I knew I, I was going to go. Then I had to convince my parents to sign a waiver because I started attending school at uh, <laughs> wrestling school at 17. And I had to give the whole speech. Oh, mom and dad, it's, it's not a big deal. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just doing it for fun. It's fake. There's no way that I could get hurt. I come back to full night and I'm covered in bruises. I mean, I, I, I have rope marks on my back and they lose their friggin' shit. They, they lose their mind. <laughs> What are you doing? What are you crazy? Yada, yada. So it wasn't well received at first, uh, but I knew in my heart of hearts that's something that I I wanted to do. They didn't stop me uh, or tried to stop me, although they weren't thrilled with my decision. They just asked that I I continue with my educational goals, which I did, and and I had no uh, intention at all of abandoning those. So uh, I held up my part of the bargain, you know, for them and also for me personally. And, uh, that's how it started, you know, and, and believe me, my mom is still here. And, uh, she'll ask me, 
Oh, you got, uh, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, uh, I got a match. Oh, you're still doing that shit. You got a good job. You got a career. You got a, what the hell is wrong with you? And, uh, but, uh, I love it. So, well, uh, there was a comment up here about the wrestling school, uh, also ran shows. Garden yes. State Wrestling Alliance. Yes, it did. So from day one when you started training, how long was it until uh, they said that you were ready? And then how long was it till you thought you were ready to have your first match? I was in a battle royal in about three weeks and petrified. <laughs> oh, my God. And uh, then I had my first match probably at – it was every two weeks, I think. So then it was probably – Two weeks later, I had my first match, which was a singles. And it was really funny there. Like, uh, Mike let us learn and try a lot of stuff. So we we would go out there. Mike really didn't give us times. So those shows would go freaking four or five hours because everybody would get in there and they would want to try everything that they knew. You go back and watch some of those Mike Sharp school shows. Those matches are 20, 20 25 minutes long. And they're as awful as they are long. <laughs> Some of them are brutal. They're, fun, they're a lot of fun to watch now. I, I really got to transfer some of them to, uh, you know, DVD or or whatever they got now, uh, you know, digital, because uh, it would be really cool to put up. Uh, man, I, I sucked. <laughs> we all sucked. And, and we went way, way too long. And, and, and the crowd was out there. I mean, I have no idea how those people sat there as long as they did, because we all had to get our shit in and not just some of our shit, all of our shit. <laughs> the matches were ridiculous. Kind of following up on that. So, you know, the first time you go out there, do you already feel comfortable being in front of an audience, being in front of people, or is that a completely other element or layer to the whole thing? Or did you say my mind is more on the wrestling? I can kind of block out the people nervous uh and i i still get nervous to this day uh i'm a perfectionist i'm my own worst critic and the before before i go out there i want to go out there and have the best magic there's a saying where when you stop getting nervous and it's it's time to stop you know what i mean and uh and you know way way more nervous way back then for that first match but you never totally lose those little bit of butterflies. And I never have, maybe some people have, maybe when you're really, you know, on, you know, for years and years and years doing the big shows, you might lose it. I never have. And I think it's a healthy thing to have. I think it keeps you sharp and it keeps it exciting, you know? So you graduate from, from Mike's training camp. You're doing your thing now. You're starting to build up some more confidence. Obviously, Mom is, is still, uh, we'll say, on the fence about things. This is totally legit. She used to go to the Mike Sharp shows, sit in like the second or third row, couldn't sit in the front, couldn't take it. And God's honest with you, she would sit there and do rosaries as I had my match. Legit. That's how much she hated it and how worried she was. <laughs> That's a mom for that. Hey, that's a mom for you, though. She yeah, cares about her baby. Is, yes. Um, so you graduate, you're moving on. What was it like trying to get booked early on after you left Mike's? Was it did you find that it was it was challenging or did you find that it wasn't that bad to start getting gigs in, in other promotions? Um, so what was that kind of that process like of, hey, 
who's going to hire me? Yeah, we would just drive around. It was me and Ace Darling or you know, other guys from the show. We would you know, pick a Saturday and or a Friday night. And if there was a show we could get to, we would go. Even if we weren't booked, maybe, maybe somebody gets hurt. Maybe somebody doesn't show up. You know, maybe somebody misses their flight. Maybe they want to put on a dark match or a, a preliminary match. We just go... You, we went in, in the hole for years the, the, before you start to see the fruits of your labors. But if at that time there was no internet, there was no social media, there was nothing like that. You couldn't do a training session and post it somewhere. You had to send out tapes in eight by tens tapes. You had to send out VHS tapes, uh, these big thick things. Uh, and often guys would get stacks of these motors would get stacks of them. There's no way he's going to see them all. So if you got, lucky enough to where they watched yours great or you would hope that somebody that was established maybe took a liking to you might want to work with you would put in a word but if when you first start out it was a lot of driving a lot of road hours everybody pitching in for gas sleep in your car if you got enough guys like you get a room you go in one guy gets a room and then you squeeze six, seven guys on the floor uh, just so you guys could sleep. And it was just, you would just go. You would go here. You would go there. You would travel. You would try to make a, a connection. Uh, and, and if anybody would let you in the ring, you would take that opportunity. What were some of the payoffs early on? Um, you know, we've actually talked to several different people and they would say payoffs, Mike, what are you talking about? Sometimes they would literally give you something from the concession. That's it. Food. And, and thank you. you yes. And you would say thank you and you would simply leave. So it, it, it surprises, I think, people nowadays that that's what happened. But kind of go into that. Uh, there wasn't always money exchange for, for you no. being on the show. Nope. Uh, especially when you were new, you know, you were basically going out there to get an op and an opportunity to show your wares, to show yourself what you could do. Uh, and he, you know, that old saying, the hot dog and a hand handshake that, mm -hmm. that was real. And often you didn't get that, you know, uh, and you went home and you know, you were in the hole. That's why you try to get two, three, four guys in, in a car. That way we're all collectively going in for gas. And if, you couldn't find the with the crew. You went by yourself. You know, we hear a lot about the road stories and traveling in cars. And, and it was funny because Mikey and Jerry will always say, oh, it was all cramped up. It was all this yeah. or that. But then they'll look back and go, we didn't appreciate it at the time. But you know what? We were all dirt poor. We were all yeah. beat up. But you know what? We had some drinks. We laughed our ass off. And I wouldn't Absolutely. trade those moments for anything. And, and they've even said this. That's what they miss more than yeah. anything. It's not about the ring. It's about being around like-minded people that eat, breathe, and drink the same thing you do. It's 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 a community. It's a family. So, I'll say yes, but for me, a huge part is still about the ring. I love the performance. I love the art. I love creating something, having a vision here, and then trying to created up up there so it's it's definitely the whole package the camaraderie the like-minded people but it's just as much that in ring time for me as as it is all that it's it, it's all one giant package you know what i mean me personally i love to hear road trip stories 
I've got I've got to know who your favorite person to travel on the road with, and your least favorite person you ever travel on the road with. And you may change the names to protect the innocent. <sighs> if you want, you can use me as your favorite and use Freeland as your worst favorite. Uh, I say without question, my favorite person was Ace Darling, my partner. I, I love tag team wrestling. And uh, him and I did a lot of work ag against each other. There was a time when we broke out. Me and Ace were on every in indie show against each other. And then eventually we formed the team and then we tagged everywhere and we get along great but we are so polar opposites with some stuff like i have a very long fuse like like i have a lot of patience and everything else if we're slightly lost or running a little later he is he freak he would freak out he would go nuts he would get real quiet he would grip the wheel sighing and and I'm there. I'm like, dude, you got. It was just. It was always an experience. And whenever we traveled, something ridiculous would happen. You know, there's always something ridiculous. Like nothing's too like crazy. But like, we pulled in one spot for gas when there was a show. We were in like in the suburbs of Boston. We needed gas. I have no idea why. I had like an extra two bucks on me and. I bought a, a freaking scratch-off ticket. So I scratch it. We win. Buy another ticket. This goes on and on and on. And this guy behind on the counter was, I mean, he looked like Cletus from The Simpsons. And, <laughs> and every time we win, he's jumping up. It's like 12 o'clock at night. And it's me. It's Ace. We're in this. We're in like the woods of... Massachusetts, and we're with this guy that looks like Cletus from The Simpsons. He's jumping up and down every every, every time we hit something. We end up winning like seventy five dollars after like ten wins in in a row. And this guy's going, "This is the best night of my entire <laughs> life." And and I'll never forget the name. It was called the Pumpin' Pantry. It was a a convenience mart slash gas, and he was giving us bumper stickers that said. Pumping pantry. Uh, you have, <laughs> take this hat. Take this. This is great. Me and Ace still talk about it. Like I actually, I texted him a few days ago, and all the text was pumping pantry, and that was it. And <laughs> I get the the laughing face or the LOL, but it's always this uh, text, you know. And then when we were tagging for WCW, we were up in uh, Milwaukee, and we had got to there with no rooms. It was around like playoff Super Bowl time. So there was football going on. It was real busy. Uh, yada, yada, yada. And we can't find a room. Finally, we find this little beat up shack hotel. We go in, Ken, we get a room and it's me and him. And this guy behind the desk just goes, okay, well, I run a tight ship here. I want no drugs. I want no whores. I want nothing like that. That's how, how we greeted us before before we even got a room. No <laughs> drugs, no like. I guess he assumed we. I don't know. I had long, long, <laughs> bleached blonde hair. He he had like the dark hair with the mullet, and I guess we just looked like uh, shady guys. I guess I, I don't know. It was really funny. We still talk about it. Not even good evening or no. hey, how you guys doing? Hey, no, I got who a was? room. 
I got a room, no horse, no drugs, and no bullshit. That's what he said. Wow. Yeah. And we took the room because that's all, all there was. And, and we just laughed the whole time about it. So so traveling, like you said, you 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 pack a bunch of people into a room, obviously, to, to keep costs down. Um when it came to that, I mean, did you what did you guys typically do for food? I mean, you know, money was so tight. We've heard that Al Snow, Al Snow said he would take um uh a, a, what did he how did he refer to it? He took a cowboy or cowboys um boy scouts mess kit and he would hook it to a carburetor and he would drive around to heat it up and that's how he would have a warm meal um now i mean obviously that sounds pretty extreme but what were some of the things what did your diet consist of uh in the early days of being on the road and, and just stopping off a gas station was it just whatever you could get your hands on i had a lot of shakes like uh like at that time metrex and uh myoplex were big granola bars and then if you wanted something else you would stop off you know, get a baby ruth get chips slim jim and you know i would bring as much food as i could from home because there was a pretty good shot you weren't getting paid at that time so i would literally have a bag of non-perishables tuna fish stuff like that bring a can opener bring a you know bottle of like seltzer or Gatorade or something like that, and 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 I'll put it inside my the back seat, or if there were guys with me, you know, throw it in, in the trunk. I would bring as much as I could from home, and like that was the harsh reality of it because you didn't know whether you were, if you were going to get paid or not. So you really had to watch your budget, you know. So we start to go down the road of before you get into ECW. Um, obviously you competed in the tournament, uh, when Shane Douglas vacated the NWA title. Um, you worked with Tracy Smothers as well. Uh, we've heard NWA, so many, yeah. yes, so many good things about Tracy. What are some memories you have about working with Tracy and, and just Tracy, the person? I was nervous as hell. Uh, I was still very young. Dennis Carluzzo had faith in me to put me in that tournament with Tracy, who I thought was incredible, I'm like, oh my God, I'm wrestling Tracy Smothers. Uh, we went out there, he gave me a couple things, and watching a match, I suck now. You know, compared to now, it was like, wow, I, I was really terrible. And Tracy Smothers was so good to me and did what he could to make me look great. And I would see Tracy year after year after year, and he would always remember that we worked. He was always glad to see me, you know, always get a real, a real, real big hug and always have a real conversation and it wasn't just wrestling talk it was he was just a really good down-to-earth guy and and he generally cared he wanted to make you laugh he was just i mean you can't find a better guy than that just super super nice guy yeah we've heard a lot of people say you know the uh, uh, uh classic tracy smothers line is hold my watch when yeah. uh, when a fight would break out yeah but um is there anybody else? I mean, obviously, you talked about your tag team partners and Tracy. Was there anybody else you really kind of gravitated towards during your career that you built a relationship that superseded wrestling itself, and it was more um, a more interpersonal type of relationship? My first manager at Iron Mike Sharp School was a guy called The Master. Uh, his name was Rocco Amaza, huge wrestling fan, uh, and he was actually a substitute teacher at my school and uh he, he was 
subbing for shop and we started talking about wrestling and I had told him that I that I joined Iron Mike Sharp school he was not aware of this he joined Iron Mike Sharp school you know he's uh like a few years older than I I I, I was theater background really great actor very animated well spoken and uh so, so he joins and we're packaged from Mike Sharps and, and we worked independence as a unit a lot of different places and he he was the guy that really you know we would drive down to Mike Sharps he would off he would often drive when we got booked at shows and uh he's a guy that would often drive uh and and I often say uh if it wasn't for this guy there would be no Devin Storm there would be no crowbar the guy was awesome uh incredible manager he had a amateur background he learned to take bumps but he just came out at the wrong time that was at a time when the diva was starting to evolve and you know the male managers are starting to phase out more uh incredible performer very animated great speaker great person just came along at the wrong time unfortunately and uh we still talk to this day yeah uh, great great guy you know just like Ace, you know, he's one of the few people that I still keep in contact with, uh, you know, from that time. And, uh, you know, going back to, you know, uh, it's real funny. Uh, I never hung out a lot with guys in the ECW locker room. I was kind of very much hated there. <laughs> uh, but years later, I was on a, uh, a plane and I... I met Danny Doring on that plane. He was there as doing a team, uh, the team testing when I was there. Uh, we really didn't speak that much. So I, you know, on that plane ride, we start talking about Star Wars. <laughs> we bond and we're great friends. Let to, let to this day and through him, I meet Roadkill, become great friends. And uh, Danny Doring, Roadkill, Little Guido are guys that I really have a good bond with that I still stay very, very close with you know up you know to this day right now you bring up ecw and uh obviously a lot of people and, and jerry had said this before he he said i would never work for that company no way no shape no how uh he says well never say never because it happened but yep. what was your original thoughts of when they went from eastern championship wrestling obviously now they're in extreme championship wrestling what was your thought on the company once you came in there and what was your relationship like with paul uh at that time and even now i watch wrestling as a fan and i watch it as a professional both uh i enjoy both ways i love the product at that time it really clicked with me i liked that a lot of the guys wrestled but they also integrated the props you know and props that naturally occurred at ringside you know the you know the chairs you know they would use microphone wires the guardrails stuff like that uh i like the style i like the edgy promos i like the environment you know the crazy environment i like the music everything about it i liked so i had done a few shows for wcw i did a nitro against conan and then i worked a saturday night show against uh eddie guerrero and I was being used like very sparsely on, you know, I was also full-time in college at that time. So WCW really wasn't 
a good fit there, but it was a great, it was an incredible experience. Uh, ECW is based mainly out of Pennsylvania, going as far north as Austin, and that was a great fit. Uh, so I had gotten a call. Uh, I forget the exact show, what the name was, uh, what the name of the show when, when I debuted, but I got the call the Saturday of that show at like 12 in the afternoon. We want you to come down. We want you to work with Taz. And I, I was a huge fan of Taz from IWCCW when he was Tasmaniac working with Ray Odyssey at that time. I, yep. I, I always loved it. You know, the, you know, the furry singlet and the hair and it was just wild. It was great. And how he evolved to this badass character that hated the world was awesome. And it made sense because it was based off a real thing, like, you know, the neck injury and all that stuff. So they go, we want you to work with Taz. We know you worked with Sabu on, on the indies. We want to rekindle that, but we're going to start you off with Taz. So their little monkey wrench here was five days prior, I had my knee scope for a a torn meniscus. I cleared my, oh, yeah. I cleared my calendar for six or seven weeks just to make sure I had time to heal. And, uh, I wasn't going to miss this opportunity. So they call me at 12. They say, we need you down here as soon as possible. And I can't bend my knee that well, but I wasn't missing the opportunity. So I scrambled around. I had, uh, a few doctor friends from being involved with the physical therapy. I had to find one of them on a Saturday that would agree to open up the office, drain my knee, get all that fluid out so that I could bend it and shoot it up with a, a local so that I could perform. Uh, so that happens between 12 and like four or five or like four or five thirty, And I go down to Philly and I arrive late, uh, I don't want to tell Taz that I had my knee scoped on, on a Monday because I don't want to think, oh, well, well, the knee felt great at that point in time because it was drained and I had the local and I felt good. I don't want to tell Paul that he had an injured guy coming in. I wanted to make the most of this opportunity. I was a huge fan of the product. I was getting to work with Taz, which was mind-blowing. And they were discussing rekindling a feud with me and Sabu there. Uh, so I went. I got there late. I know that was heat. Uh, I couldn't tell them why I was late because I, I don't want them to know I was injured. Uh, I have a match with Taz, and just from that point on, it was just a bad foot to start off with getting there late. Uh, I would frequently bring my books to the locker room, and that just wasn't the right culture for that. <laughs> uh, it wasn't the right culture to bring my school books. I I had my books stolen. I had them thrown out and, and, and like I just persevered, you know, I love the product. I was hoping that an opportunity would come. And at, at, at the same time, I was going to school full time. I had, there were not enough hours in, in a day to get it all done. I, I had to get there ahead of time. I had to open my books. I, I had to get shit done and yep. I had to get it done there. You know, there's no online classes. There was an, an enormous amount of work to get done and a lot of the talent saw that as disrespectful you know what i mean and each his own and i get it going by the way the attitudes were back then the way the culture was back then but i had to do what i had to do uh i was also probably the first guy to bring video games to uh 
on on the road with me. Uh, I remember vividly. I had my Sega Genesis hooked up to the hotel room. Guys came in. We'll we'll protect names. They're not important. Uh, hey, we're going out. You need to come out with the boys tonight. I got nah. I'm, I'm gonna hang out. I'm gonna study and ADD. So I would study. I would take a a break, play some video games to clear my head. I'd go back to my yeah, kick my game system across the hotel room. Uh, all kinds of stuff like that. And I worked and worked. And I often speak about this in interviews. You need to be able to survey the situation. You need to be able to assess what's going on and see what's in front of you, whether you like it or not. And I knew at that time, so many guys didn't like me there that even if I worked hard, even if I improved myself, there comes a point when it's not going to matter because you're so far, it's it's, it's just not going to change. But the politics of, of the situation are so far stacked against you. So as bad as I wanted to succeed, as bad as I, wanted to really give my all there as much as I loved that environment. It just wasn't going to happen. And, and I had my last match with balls Mahoney and I went up to Paul, went up to Todd. I said, I thank you very much, but I can't do this uh, anymore. And I left and uh, you know, it was a great experience. Uh, I did an interview years ago and, and the guy with the headline on uh, the internet was crowbar discusses, being bullied in the ECW locker room. I never looked at it like I'm I'm a grown ass man. Yeah. And it was a different time. And and I come from from a different time. And I tell everybody those the adversity there, uh, it made me stick it out. It made me it made me a better person and it would prepare me for adversity later on in life. All these experiences help you to grow, help 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 mold the person you are. And I I never looked at it as bullying. I looked at it as adversity. And you either overcome it and you do better or you let it cripple you. And I just chose to move on and work harder. And I would I'd show them, you know, that was my, you know, my attitude the whole time. So, I mean, and a a lot of those guys I'm totally cool with now, you know, we all grow up, you know, we all become men. We all, we all get families and we all realize this stupid stuff we've done. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's really cool to go full circle and, and to see these guys now. And uh, I don't know, it it was definitely a great, uh, teaching moment in life it, it, it was a great time for development and it also let me see that as good as i thought i was with being in th- in the ring and how i worked i needed to get a lot better you know what i mean and it just op- it it opened my eyes to a lot of stuff and i thank god every day for that experience could help mold me into the person that i am now it's interesting, you know, the way you look at it is a very positive way. I think a lot of people could go, you know, play the, the victim route, you know, and say, well, they just didn't accept me or everybody was a jerk or et cetera, et cetera. And none of that wouldn't be true, but you looked at it a different perspective. And I think because you were focused in that you did see things big picture, 
you know, I want to get my school done. I do want to go ahead and, and pursue this career as well. After my professional career is over, I want to be able to, you know, support a family and, and do certain things. And I often wonder, you know, if some of the wrestlers in the locker room were kind of jealous that that you had more going for you, if that makes sense. Not really sure. It it was I really don't think so. I just think it was more of but the culture, it, I think it was rock and roll. It was crazy. It was balls to the wall, tear it up in and out, out of the ring. And I just didn't fit that culture at that time. I think my mindset fit fit the in-ring product. I loved going crazy in the ring. I loved working hard. I loved giving my all. But my attitude, the person I was, didn't fit the culture in the locker room didn't fit that and as you know in any work environment you know it's it's behind the scenes stuff that's also very important and i i was also very young naive at the time and i didn't get that and uh and i sat around wondering why and in hindsight now that i'm older and i've gone through a whole lot more i'm i'm 47 years old now and you realize what the whole situation was and again if you ask me this right after i left ECW, all oh, I mean, those guys sucked. They didn't like me, blah, blah, blah. Now I look back with different eyes, with more experienced eyes, and it really was a great experience for me that helped make me in, into the person that I am now. And also going through that helped me get through a lot of situations, not just in wrestling, but in life. Well, during the pandemic, there wasn't a lot of wrestling going on. No. Nah. And for me personally... Once I found your Twitter page, your vignettes, I look forward to each every one, and not just watching one, not two, but I'd watch it three or four times and just. Well, he'll binge watch, binge uh, watch, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and I'm not just binge watching just all, one, you know, after another, after another. I'm watching just one repeatedly because every time I'm I'm sitting there watching, I catch this piece and catch that piece. And one of my most favorite ones, and I told Freeland this a million times, is the big debate that you purposely, in my opinion, tried to crash Twitter. Which is better, NWO or the Bullet Club? Now, how did you, how did you come up with that big whole facade there? I can't take full credit, <laughs> as you know, as as. Uh, we discussed before. I, I have a, a physical therapy facility. Uh, I work a lot. Uh, in my spare time, I really try to spend as much time with my wife and kids as much as 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 I can. I try to keep it controversial and fun and topical when I can. When I see something that's worth commenting on, so a little bird, we'll say, a, like a follower of mine, said, "Hey, there's this." big debate going on the past couple of days between the bullet club and the NWO. And I said, really? I said, well, and I kind of get, you know, I'm very familiar with the NWO. I know what the bullet club is. I'm very familiar with the, the guys that are in, in it, but I also know the fan base and I love wrestling, love wrestling fans, but I also know how to like, I know how to push buttons. <laughs> and uh, so this guy says, hey, there's this war going on between the NWO fans and uh, like the Bullet Club fans. Might be something you might want to do. Can you think of something? And I'm like, I'm, I'm at work right now. Uh, let me, you know, let me think of it in, in the back of my head. And ADD, I 
I could work and and I could think of something and I gotta have a million things going on and it's all swirling and swirling and swirling. So I'm working, doing notes, working out when I'm done with work, and this promo is swirling. It's festering in here, and I'm getting little things. And I take out my phone. Okay, I uh, I got a. That's a good line. Let me write that down. Let me write this. And it's and it's a process, and I I have to write it down before I forget it. I, I have a notepad at my bedside. I have notepads all over my house and at work. If I think of something, I go, I got to write this down because it's cool before I, I forget about it. It's probably going to piss people off <laughs> or in in the best way possible. And uh, that was actually, I was tipped off by a friend or a follower friend and uh, you got what you got. <laughs> and and it, actually, and it actually fit in with my previous wrestling stuff, I wrestled Hall Nash with Ace two weekends, uh, two weekends, two weeks in, in a row on Nitro in, in a tag match, and we got squashed both times. So it actually fit great. Man, I I, I just I just loved it. And there you are. That brings up my, my I, next question. I I have done a few interviews, and I usually have a vitamin water and seltzer and i've been bitched out how could you not come on with a so i I have a little bit just for you guys it may or may not be the red vitamin water that's up to you that's up to your uh imagination (laughs) well our good friend and our good canadian mr butt he he wanted me to sit there and talk a little bit about uh red wine so mr butt i do like red wine by the way i just don't have it that often so so well, what's your favorite kind of wine? You know, the, the flavors, you know, do you, go, uh, do you go wine, uh, wine tasting? I do not. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I don't want to pull back the curtain on, on the Wizard of Oz here, but I'm, 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 a. I go to work. I play video games. <laughs> I, uh, I love wrestling. Uh, I, uh, like, I do like a Pinot Noir, uh, we just got back from Florida. Love theme parks and all that, and all that type of stuff. But maybe I have this alter personality back there somewhere that just has to come out. Maybe, but I, I do like wine and I, I do like Pinot Noir. Yes, I just have it here and there. You know, you touched upon this uh, a few minutes ago about how they wanted you in ECW to maybe rekindle the Sabu feud. And I think that that is fascinating on so many different levels. Can you kind of touch upon a little bit about what that was like meeting Sabu, working with him and starting to build up that chemistry in, in that feud itself? He is another one of those guys. There's many people that I can say this about and each one it's true. 1000% each person played their role. If it wasn't for Sabu, I would have never gotten the notoriety or the recognition that I had gotten there. Devin Storm would probably just be an indie guy and there would have never been a a crowbar and yada, yada, yada. Uh, Dennis Carluzzo from New Jersey that ran the NWA booked me against Sabu. Uh, I forget why he wasn't in ECW at the time, but he, it was, was like between the time when he was with WCW and ECW. I'm really not sure of the circumstances, but he was doing indies. And I wrestled him at the Woodbury Armory. 
new green kid. I was probably, I'm trying to think, maybe 19. And he let me shine. He let me do all, all, all my stuff. He trusted me to take all his stuff. And at that time, he was white hot. He was a, a, a hot commodity on indies. And he asked me what I wanted to do. He asked me if I was comfortable doing this, this, and all his stuff. And I said, yes. And we just tore it up. But, I mean, there's a caste system, especially back then in wrestling, where you work with a veteran. You do whatever they say. Maybe they'll give you a lot. Maybe they won't. This guy let me do what I could do. He let me shine just as much as he let himself shine that night. And had it not been for that match, I, you know, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. And I'm eternally grateful to this guy. Uh, we always have great chemistry when we work together. And, uh, you know, I, I would personally love to mix it up again. What would you say when it comes to Sabu that has made him so successful over the years? Um, you know, a lot of people believe it, it's his high flying style. A lot of people believe it's his, you know, his motor that just goes, goes, goes. Um, knowing him on a personal level as well, what do you think it is that makes the audience so drawn uh, to Sabu? Uh, well, I will take myself out, out, out of this as a professional first, and I'll be a fan. Okay. Uh, I, I first saw the videos of him you, you, that would go around and, you know, around a time on, I, when I was breaking in, uh, VHS, they would have all the tapes from Japan, from the Indies. And I saw this guy. And first of all, his outfit was unique. He had these baggy ass pants and the belt around his waist, his hair's all down in his face. He's all scarred up. He was a character. And I say this a lot on, interviews i uh, let's look with sabu first okay and then like then we could expand upon it but uh he was a character he looked he made you want to watch him there was an x factor there and then when he got in the ring he would just do amazing stuff we would go oh my god that's crazy and it so it was everything it, it was his look it was his gear the way he carried himself the way he would dive at your leg, which nobody was really doing at the time. He looked like a wild animal diving at you. And, and it was just new. It was original and it was stuff that no, that nobody had ever seen at that time. And I think it was all those things combined that just made it so special. Plus the fact he would just take the most outrageous risks, uh, you know, and, uh, uh, you you knew if you watched that match, you knew you would see something very very special, and uh, you know that's basically it. You know, uh, I hope that helps. Yeah, you know, no, it it definitely does. A uh, a fan uh, knowing you were coming on tonight sent me a uh, video link to the steel cage match that you and and, and Sabu had, which was great. Um, do you have a favorite match or moment that you had with Sabu in the ring? It would be that match. Uh, we were working for the WWWA. We had done a match in Las Vegas, which was a no DQ match. And then we followed that up with, with the cage match. And it was really cool. Not many people saw that pay-per-view at all. Uh, not many people have seen that match at all. But for me personally, uh, we knew that we would be uh, really highlighted on that card. And, and I, I had about a month and a half to think about how we could be in a cage tell a story do some real 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 cool stuff 
And uh, to actually think about it, plan it, and then see it come to reality and come to fruition on a pay-per-view was just an amazing experience. We have great chemistry together. Uh, I, we've always clicked well. You know, it, you know, it, with a wrestling with the high spots, with the props, with the cage, and all that stuff. Uh, and that match for me, we did some wild stuff. We did you know, the dive off the cage. He jumped in the top of the cage, dropped the leg. We used fire. We did all this wild stuff. And I think we made it made sense. It wasn't what you would call in wrestling a clusterfuck we told a story uh and if you watch that match there's a natural progression of violence it yep. goes goes it builds build 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 bills you know we start off we no weapons that we introduce the chair then we introduce the guardrails and the tables and it it builds with build build bills and it culminates with fire and then a, like a big leg drop from the top there's a whole story there you know and I'm very proud of that match, you know, and uh, it's probably my favorite match that I've done. Speaking of matches and uh, just kind of taking a sidebar here, how do you go about putting a match together? So you, an opponent, um, you sit down. Do you have a specific way that you like to lay out a match? Is there certain things that you go into it going, I'd like to do X, Y, Z, or do you kind of go into it open-minded and just saying, Let's kind of collab here and see where it takes us. I love to prep. Uh, I was recently booked for GCW, and they told me I was going to work Ricky Shane Page. And I always want to have a great match. So I said, hey, get me as many links as you can of this guy. I want to check him out. I want to watch it. So I did cardio for like, you know, a week straight. And each time I, I had a session, I was watching – Ricky Shane Page, and I had my little notebook, and okay, he likes to do this move. This move looks great. This looks great. And he does a lot of great stuff, and I had heard that he was like a deathmatch guy, and they sent me wrestling matches of Ricky Shane, and he was fantastic. Very agile for a big guy. The way he carried himself was really great, and I, I and the more I watched him, the more I got excited, and you start to see what this guy does and as okay wow that looks good that's good maybe maybe we could do this and i'll tie that into what i do here and i get very excited very very passionate it's like a a project and i try to be very proficient and know what my opponent does uh some promoters let think i'm a, a pain in the ass they'll call me say uh we want to book it okay who am i working and I want to know because I want to go out there, have a great time, and I want to kill it. <laughs> so I'll, I'll ask you so that I could research this and just bring things up. So that being said, I like to say I have a foot in each school, old school and new school. And you'll meet a lot of the old school guys say, you call it in the ring. I've never called it in the ring. I've, I've, I've always been a guy that I like to see the story. I like to think about what the story should be. I like to know what moves I want to do what moves he does. And I have a photographic memory, A, B, C, D. And if you ask anybody that works with me, that's how I like to plan my match. And then there's always room to ad lib stuff, you know, depending on the crowd, depending on what you feel. But I like to have a basic blueprint. That's how, how I work. It's not old school. It's more new school. And I used to take a bunch of shit for it too. You know, the, when I broke in, the older guys would say, oh, the, like you're doing it all 
wrong kid. You got to call it out there, yada, yada. And I can do that. I just find that the matches are way better when I have time to let my imagination think about what I want to do and create something like that. I, I just think when you put the work in, it, it just comes out so much better. You know, you know we've, often heard, we've often heard that uh, the, the, the famous story of Savage and Steamboat, uh, WrestleMania three, the whole legal pad thing where Savage would uh, sit down with Steamboat and they'd, Right, 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 and Savage with him, call him up. Uh, what's number 84? What's spot 16? And um, would you say you can understand that aspect? Yes, absolutely. That's how I think. That's how I, I work. And ironically, I'm a huge Randy Savage. He's my favorite of all time is, is Randy Savage. Uh, but that's how my brain works. I'll come up with a spot. I'll write it down. May not know exactly where it's gonna go, but I'll, I'll, I'll like I'll have it. I'll have a highlighter. I'm very meticulous. I'm very visual the way I do it, and like I, said, I like to create. I'm very visual. I like to create, and I'm I might write something down and I'll put a question mark here or here. Uh, that's how my brain works, and it helps in the ring because often my opponents might get lost, and and I just have a knack to remember and just flow with it and it's it's all it's always been an asset if you watch that cage match there is is a definite progression there's a story and i remember being there that night boom 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 and it was just that's how it's just how that's how my brain works you had mentioned uh you touched upon gcw and uh obviously you know We've seen uh, Mr. Nick Gage most recently. Yes. Um, and, and personally, whether you agree with him or not, he gets eyeballs. Absolutely. He gets, he gets attention. And at the end of the day, that's what it's about. Sure. Don't get caught up in all the other stuff. He gets people. He brings Absolutely. people to the gate and they pay their money and they go to have a good time. So sure. with that being said, what's your thought on, on, on the more ultra violent stuff as far as, you know, a lot of people say ECW was, was often calm, uh, maybe Bambi-like as far as GCW and some of the other things like CZW and the, the big deathmatch tournament they have in a, in a big cornfield in, uh, in sure. Pennsylvania or New Jersey. But what's your thoughts on GCW and, and the way they do business? Now, before the GCW fans jump on, <laughs> I'm not a deathmatch. Chris Ford, the fan. I, I, I get nothing from the death match. Right. That being said, I, I was aware at that Nick Gage is the king of the death match. And I was very curious how him and Chris Jericho would meet. And, and, I, and I was like, I have to see what they're going to do. I'm very, I'm very, very curious. Great idea. It's out of the box. It's out, it's, out of less field as much as I don't like to watch death matches. I was extremely curious as to what they were going to do. And I acknowledge that there is a, like a portion of, of the population that want to see that. I had a few patients that are death match and they were ape shit that Chris Jericho was going to fight Nick Gage. So you can't knock it. There's, in interest, there's something there. Chris Ford, the fan, I'm not going to watch Deathmatch Wrestling. I'm a huge fan of the ECW-esque, what I would call, I always say, 
with the Sabu Van Dam, Jerry Lynn style. That's there's wrestling, there's technical stuff, there's props involved, and they're usually props that naturally occur at ringside. You know, way back when you had the table and it was the uh, like announcer's table, and that evolved to uh, the tables just stacked on the, underneath the ring, and that's just accepted now. But I'm a huge fan of hardcore matches where you use naturally occurring things that occur at ringside, a chair, a guardrail, a ring bell, uh, a power cord. I was going to say microphone wire, but they don't have wires anymore. But the old school had wires. Uh, uh, if you have mats, you pull the mat up and, oh, wow, he's pulling up the mat to expose the floor. That's violent. And that's what the kind of hardcore wild stuff that I like. And I, I like it when it's integrated with technical wrestling. That's my, that's what I love to watch. And that's a, with the style that I like. I'm not a fan of the barbed wire. I'm not a big fan of light tubes. Although I wrestled Ricky Shane Page and I talk shit about death matches for a full year straight. I said, what better ending was for this asshole to get his due and eat some light tubes. No one's going to believe it. And, and, and it's just a good ending to that story. The bad guy got what was coming to him. And I remember the pop was great. And I've, I saw a few fan cam footages. He hooked me for the power bomb. We have the bundle of light tubes on a guardrail. And I hear somebody goes, he ain't taking that. There was assuming that the veteran's not going to take that. And then I have I have Ricky hook me up. He brings me up. I kick. He brings me up. I kick again. And then he posts. And, and I hear the fan go, oh, yeah, here we go. Backdrop. And then he brings me up. He power bombs me. Shit flies everywhere. And no one expected it. Uh, so it fit. Uh, not my favorite kind of match. That was the last move of that match. It was the culmination. It was me facing my doom, and it was the last thing we did. So it it fits, and it was a place, where, and it made sense. You make a good point, though. I mean, if you are going to go that route, have it mean something. Don't yes. just have it for no purpose because at that point in time, you're watering down the story you're trying to tell. If you're going to use something big, have it be you know the ending. Um, and. I'm also a huge safety guy. It was the last spot of the match. We crushed, it was like 12 of them in that bundle. I was pinned. I wasn't going to roll around in that stuff and mutilate my body. It was the last spot. I took them once, glass went everywhere, and then that was it. But I wasn't going to wrestle in that for, you know, 10 more minutes. So kind of going along. Safe way to do it, or the safer way to do it going along the storyline here uh you, you stopped by and you had some time in wwe um yes. who reached out to you or did you reach out to them and and how did that relationship become a thing uh at the time uh wcw had a very strong cruiserweight division you know you you had the malenko's the benoit's ray mysterio psychosis yada 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 WWE was now going to have their their light heavyweight division, and for years, uh, Dennis Coluso would bring in Jim Cornette, uh, and 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 he would often manage me and Ace, 
had a great rapport with Jim. And at that time, I w- was a well-known cruiserweight guy on on the, the independence. So Jim gave me a call. He said, yeah, uh, we want to put you in, in a cruiserweight tournament or not cruiserweight, uh, light heavyweight tournament with Taka, yada, yada. And uh, I had that opportunity. I, I, I was still full-time in school. And now I had experienced WCW, ECW. I'm still in school. And now I'm doing WWE, which was totally mind-blowing at the time. You know. Since you've mentioned Jim, I, I got to bring him up here. Um, is is a lot of Jim shtick, or is a lot of Jim just Jim? And, and I know from a business standpoint, he he garners a, a huge audience, and he's got a lot of people who follow him. I think he's a very knowledgeable guy. However, uh, Jim's unique with how far he somehow sometimes he takes his comments. Um, what's your take on on Jim the person and Jim the performer? If there is any difference between the two. And the answer is, I don't know. Uh, I know him from shows. Okay. Uh, he, he, he was very good to me and Ace Darling bringing us up to WWE. Uh, but I've, I've, I've only really known him in that capacity. We really never had an outside the ring, like, you know, go out for, for a meal or hang, or hang out outside of wrestling. But he's always, he's always been exceptionally good to me professionally. And I loved working with him and, I know he has a lot of heat. Uh, it's really funny. I am very cordial or friendly with or cool with a lot of guys that hate each other. Uh, I'm very grateful to Jim for so many reasons. And he's another one of those guys that I could say had and not been for his help bringing me into that light heavyweight a tournament. I may have never been, you know, had, had those eyeballs on me to go to WCW later. Uh, and then you talk about Jim Cornette. One of the guys that gave me my biggest break was Vince Russo. And I'm so cool with Vince. And I'm so grateful to for everything that he did for me. Had it not been for him, there really would never be Crowbar and that push and that gimmick. Uh, so th- those are two guys that are polar opposites, can't stand each other. And they are vo- both very near and dear to my heart. And I, and I will always be indebted to both of them for my career you know they're i love both those guys wow if you could uh if you could use one word to describe jim Cornette, what would you pick uh, I, I funny as all hell <laughs> he seems like he would be a funny guy yeah um what about mr russo i don't i don't know what word you, he I'll use a phrase. Uh, He gave me the break and he gave talent a lot of, a lot of leeway and encouragement to be free to develop their characters. Uh, I don't know what you would call that, uh, but he would come up with an idea. He wouldn't force it down your throat. He would say, I'm thinking of this. What can you do with it? And he would say, yeah, you're nay, but he would always give you an opportunity. And there were quite a, a few times when he said, yeah, that's great. Uh, so I'm a very creative guy. I like to think. I love wrestling. I love creating. I love painting on the easel of pro wrestling. And he really enabled me to do that. Uh, just 
Both of them, awesome guys. A lot of people say the way they do things in WWE is much different than when they do things in other promotions. Would you agree with that? Would you would you say there is definitely a formula, at least when you were there, of this is what they do? It, it's very it was a smooth operating machine. Um, everybody kind of knew where they were supposed to be, or was it a little bit different for you? What I was doing, I w- was basically doing a car crash match. It was a light heavyweight stuff, so my stuff really wasn't that high up on on the food chain of a raw or anything, you know, they, they wanted light heavyweight stuff, fancy moves, high flying, yada, yada. So I really probably didn't have the pressure of other talent did. It was basically go out there, have a great light heavyweight match, give us eight minutes, nine minutes, what have you. And, and get the hell out. So I really wasn't there where I had to create anything. I had to go out there and it was more my athleticism that was highlighted more than a character. If that makes sense. No, it does. It does. Um, let me ask you this question. So you, you have your time in WWE and then obviously WCW comes around. Yes. Um, do you feel like you were a different person? Obviously, by the time you reached WCW, you've had so many experiences with so many different um, promotions, so many different locker rooms you'd been in. Had the person that you are, not not necessarily the character, but the person evolved and changed differently the way your outlook was on the business by the time you reached WCW? Personally, my life had changed a lot. I had graduated. I had worked for a year. I had my degree. So all those stresses were gone. All the studying and all that stuff was gone. It was removed. I had completed it. I had my degree. No matter what happened, I always had that to fall back on. It it was done. It was complete. That chapter was closed, done. Uh, I get the call to go down to WCW. I'm on a Saturday night show. I'm first being groomed to be a light heavyweight guy. Uh, they asked me to move down to the power plant, you know, just to get sharp. So I'm living in Atlanta for the first year, and I'm literally wrestling every single day and loving it. I'm training every day, wrestling, and I'm and watching film every day, getting critique, critiquing my own stuff again and again, and I'm just getting sharper, sharper, sharper. Uh, at that time, I, I was being groomed to be brought up as an aggressive light heavyweight. You know, the next guy to come up to, you know, the light, like the nitro eventually. You know what I mean? That's, well, that's kind of what I was doing. I was working guys like Kidman on Saturday night, Vampiro on, sat on Saturday night, Mike Sanders, uh, Jamie Noble, Chris Benoit, and, and guys like that. And then the story goes, uh, Vince Russo saw me in, in a bar fo- following an event, walked in, leather jacket, long black hair. He goes, who is that guy? Yada, yada. At that time, David Flair's hot. He's drawing rate. He's drawing ratings, but, but he can't wrestle. Or he's very weak in, in the ring. So they decide that they're going to find a guy that could that could wrestle well, be his tag team partner, and then put them together as a tag. And I would end up doing all the work. And that ended up being me at that time. He's whacking people with a crowbar. I'm named crowbar now. And that's how it goes. Wow. When it comes to WCW in your, in your time spent there, what would you say was your most enjoyable aspect of that? Was there a time? Was there any moment that you felt Man, this is everything is starting to come together. This is where I want to be. Uh, it was really cool. 
being on Starcade, which was their version of WrestleMania, of course. And I'm wrestling Terry Funk for the hardcore title, who I'm a huge Terry Funk mark. It's surreal that I'm going to wrestle Terry Funk for a title at Starcade. Hands down, that's it right there. Wow. So, you know, kind of putting a, a little bit of a bow tie on this. I know I'm kind of I'm speeding through this because, uh, you know, of time. But let me ask you this. When, it, when you look at your wrestling career, anything you wish you would have done differently, anything that you wish you would have done more of or somebody you would have gotten a chance to maybe work with uh, in the past, any, anything like that that you look back and say, I wish I would have? Wish I would have had the opportunity to work with Rob Van Dam. Uh, I've worked with Jerry Lynn, worked with Sabu, worked with X, uh, X-Pac. You know, those three guys, when I was coming up, if you were getting the tapes, if you were watching the, uh, you know, the videos, it was one, two, three kid, Jerry Lynn, Sabu, Rob Van Dam. That's the one guy I'm missing right now. Uh, I wish I would have got to work him, but all, all in all, the whole career, it's just, Worked out great. WCW ends. I have a few dark matches for WWE. And I always tell the story. Had I got picked up, I would have never met my wife, never had my kids, never opened my business. So, I mean, I mean, and I'm rushing through it now here too. I mean, God has as a plan. It couldn't have worked out better. And now I'm in, in a situation where life is great. I, I have a very successful Business not being snarky about it. I'm just saying I have a very successful business, which in turn enables me, empowers me to still participate, to still wrestle, do something that I freaking love doing on my terms. And I'm probably having the best time of my life right now. It's so awesome. You said at the beginning of the interview that, you know, things put you in a certain position and that um, some people may or may not buy into that, but I, it resonated with me where everything happens for a reason and there is a path. And I do believe if you open up your eyes, you will see uh, signs, messages, whatever you want to recall them that put you in a spot for a reason that leads to something else that um, I don't know. I just think you have to keep your eyes and your ears open because if this wouldn't have happened, then it wouldn't have led to this. And I wouldn't become the person I would have been. And, like you said before, with your career, your wife, your children, your successful practice, maybe some of that stuff wouldn't have happened had the other things prior to that not happened. So I get that completely. Um, I've experienced some of that in my life as well. So, And at that, at that moment, you might not see it. I'm going back now. I'm years removed from it. And you see the path is so clear. At that moment, like... ECW sucked for me at the time. Had I not left, WCW may never have happened. WWE light heavyweight division may not have happened. If things went well, I may have stayed. And being young, naive, I might have done some crazy stuff in the ring and gotten hurt, gotten crippled. Who knows? Uh, at the time, WCW folds. And I'm, you know, and a lot of the, the the insiders are saying, "Oh, a crowbar is definitely going to get picked up. You could put him with a raven. You could put him here. Blah blah blah." Yeah, it never happened. And and at that time, I was devastated. And now, in hindsight, had that happened, I would never met 
my wife, never would have had my beautiful kids, never would have opened my business, which that has really, that has really op- opened doors and, and enabled me to be here to do this and to do wrestling on my terms, not because I need to, because, because I effing love it. I freaking love doing it. I'm having a hoot of a time, but the promos are fun. The new character is fun. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it just, it's when you look back years later, the path couldn't be more clear that you were led on. And, and I know that sounds campy. I don't want to be not at all preachy at all, but it, it all worked out for a reason, you know. I would love to get the opportunity to twist your arm to come back and do a part two if there's any interest on your side as well. Absolutely. There's a lot to tell. There is so much to do. And I feel like I, you know, I kind of just skimmed over some of the stuff because you seem like a very passionate person and you critically think about things. And I think. For people who like that, who dig that stimulating conversation and who really like to get into the nuts and bolts, it's interviews like this that really allow you to connect with a star and allow you to get to see them on a whole different level. Um, but my my follically challenged friend, Mr. Ritt, uh, he has he has the question. And sure. you, my friend, are an intelligent man. You may go ahead, Uh-oh. Ritt, and Here ask the question. I'll sit back. Hot tub time machine. You can go back in time to any point in wrestling history, any match. Take somebody out and insert yourself in. What match is it? Any match against Randy Savage. Whoa. Uh, I can actually see you. You guys calling each other back and forth just like Freeland says. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It would be ridiculous. Did you ever have a chance to meet Randy? Uh, My first time in uh, WCW, he he was still there. That's when I had the the full body gear with the mullet and all that, and uh, I got to see him. And I barely, I, I I was starstruck. And I I wish I took a picture. I mean, I I watch Randy Savage. This is no every single day, and I always pick something up. Uh, he was a great athlete the character was great if you watch the way he talks it he uses hands there were mannerisms that made you watch incredible athlete and i use this term a lot pageantry the capes the headbands that he made there was so much there and i think a lot of that pageantry has honestly been lost a lot with wrestling i i really missed the pageantry and uh he 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 was one of the guys. Him, Flair with the robes. Uh, I, I watch Savage a lot. I, I watch Steve Regal a lot. Steven Regal, Lord Steven Regal. Yes, for the same reasons. I'll, I'll tell you why. Grandiose royal music. Uh, the cape, whatever the whatever looked like the robe, you know, the royal robe. Once in a while, he had a, he had on a white powdered wig. Sir William in the yep. outfit with with the umbrella gimmick wrestling gimmick pageantry he gets to the ring all that shit comes off and you saw incredible work rate it was the full package you had pageantry you had a believable character he looked at you like he smelled a turd and you knew he was he was looking at you and you believed it but when it came when all that was swept aside 
You saw incredible matches, full, complete package there. Randy Savage, too, you believe the character. You love the pageantry. Great matches. And we appreciate two those favorites. people. Yep. Yeah, I agree. And, Every and, day, I'll watch them both, and, and, and I'll always find something. And I'm so glad that he is part of NXT and he is working with people and he's using his mind to help the next generation because I have said this to Ritt, I do love Lord Stephen Regal and you can call him William Regal, but he will forever be, uh, he and, uh, Bobby Eaton, um, with Sir who, William, I love oh them with my the, gosh. with the manager. Oh, it was, it was, it was a great package. I love it. So we didn't even get to touch upon a whole lot about the medical uh, profession. We're going to get that in, in, in part two with you. But let me ask you this really quickly. Uh, where can people find you? Where can people get a hold of you? Where can promoters book you? The whole nine yards. The floor is yours. Uh, I started Twitter in 2017. I didn't touch it for two years because I just didn't have time. I was doing the, the Facebook thing you know, locally. It, it was mostly with the town people promoting my business, yada, yada, yada. Uh, I, I got on Twitter in 2019. It's all I'm really doing right now. It's all I have, have the time for right now. So you go to at WCW Crowbar and uh, all my contact stuff is there. Uh, and that's it. Right now, that's all, all that's going on right now. Do you have uh, some merch? Uh, people can go out and get some shirts and whatnot. I do not, but I actually, uh, I got paperwork from Pro Wrestling Tees. Uh they will be coming out soon, as well as video messaging in my promo form. You'll be getting the black and white. You're going to get the music, the subtitles, and I guarantee you they won't be nice. I'll get your message across, but they're going to be pretty douchey. <laughs> I love it, my friend. You're going to get, you're going to get Crowbar the character. I love it. I love it. You are a gentleman. And I mean that in the in the most oh, sincere way. Man. This has been a joy, not only for myself, but for our audience. We will, uh, if it fits into your schedule, do a part two because there's so much more. Meat on the bone, my friend. Crowbar, thank you. thank you so much for your time, my friend. A lot of fun, guys. Thanks so much. We'll hey, talk thanks. to you soon. Take care. Take care. Wow. I I'm telling you, you meet people and... There are some people that you could sit down and you could you could have a, 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 a Pepsi, if you will, uh, and have a drink with somebody and talk to them for hours. I feel like I could – we got a, a fire pit in our backyard. I feel like we could sit out there on a beautiful night and just talk, and that's what I love. You know, there's some people that you interview and then you meet, and it, it's very much it just the, the, the wrestling aspect of it, right? But when you get to kind of peel those onion layers back and you get to hear about this person and, and the way they live their life and, and how things came about and, and, a, and seeing things in a bigger picture. And I don't know, I, I jones for that kind of stuff. Um, so my my inner spirit feels good when I, I have moments like this. And so many people love Crowbar. He is well known uh, to this day and... I could not be happy enough for his success, not only on a professional level, but he stayed true to himself. He went to school. He has his own practice, and he's got his family. The dude did it his way, you know? I mean, if I'm going to steal a line from uh, Frank Sinatra, I did it my way, and he did it his way. So, anyway, what was your takeaway from everything, Ritster? Brandon Freeland, Twitter was blowing up ever since we made the announcement about this guy. Yes, And he 
man, he just he fulfilled everybody's wishes. He over delivered. You know, over delivered. Yes. And there's no way we could have got everything. He went overtime for us. Overtime. You know what I mean? Yes. And there's no way that we would ever be able to do everything in just one interview. And I am so glad and grateful that he's willing to come back a second time, you know, for part two. Love it. These fans love this guy. I love this guy. I can't wait to every time. I'm like, oh, shit. It's a new promo. Back up, everybody. I need some time. We got to watch this. You, because, you, will, you will text me in the middle of the night, and you'll be like, hey, did, you, did you catch that news promo? Did you watch it? I was like, I haven't got a chance to yet. Well, I watched it four times already. The, like, there you go. Yeah, and it's just, like he said, for like controversy. But there's, it's just gets wrestling being talked about. Yeah. And I love hearing other people's, you know, ways and, and opinions on on different stuff and he does it with such class and etiquette yep unlike the panel we're gonna be having on oh, don't get don't get me started on these weirdos oh geez guys we do apologize we were gonna start our panel earlier on but this was just so good there are moments that you have that you just you don't want to steal too much of, of a star's time but if all of a sudden you kind of like toe the line and then you step a little over the line, you're like, come on, give me a little more. It's fantastic. But don't go anywhere. We're going to take a small, small break. But when we come back, it's panel time. Our panel of wrestling experts and minds are going to be discussing some of the biggest news that's happening right now in the world of wrestling. So don't go anywhere. More of our own material when we return. I'm too sexy for my love, too sexy for my love, love's going to leave me. Yeah. 
Welcome back. It is Tuesday night. This is Front Row Material. My name is Mike Freeland, my good broadcast partner. His name is The Rit. We are once again sitting in for Mikey and Jerry. Uh, just got done having a great interview with Crowbar. If you get a chance uh, to check out the full interview, if you're just now joining us, you can go over to our Twitch channel and you can watch it on demand. And then we will also uh, post that on our YouTube channel so you can have the full length uh, interview as well. If you wouldn't mind going over to our YouTube channel, hitting the like and subscribe button, we would appreciate that. And if you have any other wrestling fans you know would love to hear interviews, not only with the indie stars that are today, but the wrestling stars of yesterday, tell them to come on over and subscribe to our Twitch channel. Each and every week we have stars from both worlds, and uh, we'd love to have you in our chat as well. So just thought I would do that. Uh, Ritster, any final thoughts before we bring on the panel? Man, just a little this Thursday. Thursday, might, yeah. Might have a little uh, FSN. Ooh, this Thursday night. This Thursday night. So we had FSN on Monday night. Well, we had. Well, hold on. We had FSN okay. on Monday night. We had front row material on Tuesday night. We're gonna take a small little breaksies on Wednesday night. You know why? Because it's dynamite. And then Thursday, we're coming back with something more? Yes. Hey, What what more could you want from a show? Who is giving you this kind of quality each and every week? I don't know. But if you guys missed yesterday's video. You missed a lot. Yesterday's interview. Yep. Head on over to Twitch and you're going to have to watch it. Really good. Who do really we have good. on, Freeland? Well... Coming on tonight on the panel, it's a very interesting group. Uh, our first guy is Canada's favorite citizen. Don't call him the ass man. We just like to call him the butt. It's Christopher Butt. What's going on, buddy? That's right. God, I love you. You look fantastic, my friend. The beard the beard looks on fleek, as the kids would say. And uh, you could probably pose as a, an extra one of those Robertsons down in, uh, down in where are they at, uh, Louisiana? Y you look like one of them. Hey, Freeland, I think Oh, he, God. He's not being a professional. No, he, he's pulling at me last night. Turn on your microphone. Look at this. Look at this. We give him an introduction, and this schmo can't even turn on his microphone? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Oh, now he's trying to figure it out. Here we go. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here now. Oh, my God. Good to see you, bud. No, it's not. Don't lie. No, you're, you're right. We're going to bring in uh, Canada's, I guess, second favorite. Probably even further on the list than that. We'll bring him anyway. Liam Savage, a.k.a. Vince Russo Jr., a.k.a. Uh, Chris Jericho in 10 years from now. Uh, I don't even know what else we, we refer to him as, but we will call him tonight. Jack Daniels. 
going on, buddy? Hanging out in the garage still, right? You know, I'm like uh, 10 years younger than uh, Jericho, right? No, you don't look it. But uh, <laughs> we will uh, we'll give you that. And you know what? That didn't take long. First of all, uh, we were we were trying to get uh, Anton. I know he is. Uh, uh huh. Appreciate that. Thank you uh, so much. She knows. Sorry, nice. sorry. I, I see. Uh, we were uh, going to have Ant Anton party via. <laughs> we we're going to have Anton via the car, but I guess he's still traveling. So we, I got a special enforcer. Yeah, bringing on a friend of mine. His name is Andrew. He is a lifelong wrestling fan and. Uh, someone who follows the product very closely. He'll be joining our group tonight. Andrew, thank you so much for coming on, buddy. Yeah, you're welcome. Glad to, glad to have me. So, so many different things are going on right now uh, in wrestling. So what I did was I tried to find a few topics that I thought might stir the pot a little bit, something that might be interesting to listen to and to talk about. So let's kind of jump right into this first one. Um We've seen a lot of shakeups happening in WWE, but no more surprising than Bray Wyatt. Uh, Bray Wyatt recently has been released from WWE. Now, Andrew Zarian, um, he is a host of a podcast and of uh, several different outlets that he writes for, but he is reporting right now that Fox and NBC Universal are very unhappy with this decision made by WWE to part ways. And evidently, there's a ripple effect that's happening with this release. Many within the locker room of WWE are saying that they are a little uncomfortable about their position within the company and if they are safe. Is their spot safe? Not your spot, not your dog's spot, not a liver spot, but your spot on the roster. Throwback to uh, NWO making fun uh, of horsemen. Yeah. Yep. So I'm going to first throw it to the ass man. Uh, let's go ahead and let's throw it to Christopher. Chris, um, Bray Wyatt being released, does this surprise you? Does this not surprise you? We haven't seen him since WrestleMania. But now all of a sudden, we heard he was going to be coming back in August. And now all of a sudden, he gets the phone call from Johnny A saying, no mas. I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. It doesn't doesn't really shock me. He has been off for a while. Apparently, he's got some stuff going on in his personal life. He's been battling some some depression and whatnot. Apparently, uh, he has had injury issues. They're going through a reshuffle. They haven't really used him properly, anyhow. A lot of stuff's kind of shit that they had him do. So, no, I can't say I'm overly shocked. Surprised, yes. Shocked, no. He is a talent that you could strap a rocket to his ass and let him go. He's that good. He he, great talker, all that good stuff. In ring, he's fine. He was misused, I think, in my opinion. But you also don't know what's going on backstage that we don't really hear about. You no, know, there are rumors that he had some things going on and whatnot, and we had the whole. Uh, a fair issue that he had going on too there for a spell. So it also could be a little bit of they got tired of him. I mean, there's a possibility. There is definitely a possibility of that. Um, I think without a doubt, Bray was one of the more, more interesting characters that WWE has produced uh, in, in recent memory, specifically when he was with the Wyatt family. Mm -hmm. And then obviously when he went off in his more of his demonic fiend character, a uh, post Wyatt family, let me ask you this, Andrew. Uh, Bray Wyatt, he's gone, but is this a situation where 
WWE, we can see that there are some things that they're doing right now. They're in another change, meaning, you know, you had the old guard, you had the new generation, this and that. Are we beginning a new generation in WWE? Yeah, that's that's an interesting question. I don't know if we're in that in a new generation in terms of talent. I think we're in a, a new generation of kind of the way the company is structured now. Like it seems like th this is not the same company it was like 20 years ago, let alone 10 years ago. And I, I feel like there's just a little bit of a, a structural change in terms of how the corporation is working in terms of where they're getting their, their revenue stream from and realizing that maybe talent is not the draw, but more of kind of what they're doing um, in terms of TV rights and um, advertising dollars and all the other things behind the scenes is where the revenue is being drawn from. So I think there's more talent can be more expendable than they used to be. But That's a good aspect of it too, though, because when you think about it, the deals that they're doing with Peacock, um, I guess Peacock is, is leasing the rights to the WWE network for a period of time. And I'm sure if the money's right, they're going to re up with that. But Liam, let me, or, or wow, Jack, uh, let me throw it to you this right here, buddy. Jack with off. With, uh, <laughs> with the Bray Wyatt situation, he was really good at what he did. Now, obviously, the, the JoJo stuff uh, kind of was strike one. Um, but once again, you know, you, you try not to mix personal life and business in the same thing, but that's hard with wrestling. Do you think WWE just felt like his character, meaning the fiend had just run its course. And unless we come up with something else, what else do you do with the guy? Yeah. I mean, he wasn't like my main thing. Um, and I, I'm, I'll try to get my points out really quick. Cause I, I've got quite a lot of viewpoints on this, but like they, uh, they didn't use him, uh, very well for the last couple of years. Uh, I mean, you, you can say they used him well if they had him against John Cena, I guess in a match, at the WrestleMania from 2020, but I mean, that's not really a match. It was just a cinematic thing, but you know, I mean, high profile, I guess, but uh, they hadn't really used him for the last couple of years. Um, he's basically, he was getting paid to a lot of times just do vignettes and segments. And, and that, that's, that's cool. If you can get the money, great, go for it. But, uh, he's probably feeling unfulfilled, and but he was getting a check every week, and he was getting paid a good amount for it. Uh, the thing I don't like is that how people point to the, back to the same excuse. They're saying, "Oh, well, Eva Marie got hired, and so how can they hire her and then get rid of this guy?" I mean, she was hired months, like I think she was hired in like January, or February, from what I understood. Yeah, she wasn't used for a while, but she she's making a lot less. So I don't get why people make that comparison all the time. The other thing is, uh, we don't know what they're like. A lot of people will say, well, they made a billion dollars with Peacock, uh, so they can afford him. Yeah, sure. They can afford him, but it's a business. Like I've said before, it's a business. And we don't know if they have a budget for talent that they have to meet a certain uh, you know, ex expectation of. So if they have like, you know, say X number of dollars for talent and then it's like, well, you know what, um, this guy's going a bit over. We could probably get two or three guys for the amount this guy's, uh, you know, being spent on and they could be doing that. Uh, it's not to say that the guy doesn't have talent. His gimmick, I think, ran its course. It, it jumped the shark rather quick, I thought. 
there was potential, but you know, he jumped the shark rather quick as far as the whole uh whatever fun house or whatever the hell it was called, uh stuff. And uh it hadn't been seen the likes of his old character for a long time. So I'm not totally surprised because they're they seem to be cutting everybody, nobody's safe. And um, you know, I just I just hope he lands on his feet somewhere. I think it's interesting because, you know, ever since they brought Nick Khan in to to take over, he was the the president of, I believe, chief revenue uh, officer yeah. for the company now. And Vince has a really good relationship with him, and he gives him a lot more leeway than Vince has with prior executives. Um, you hear the old phrase, trimming the fat, and you're, you're wanting to get rid of salaries that are on payroll that might not necessarily be living up to what the investment was into them. And they've been saying that kind of stuff with Braun Strowman before. Inflated contract, inflated salary. He wasn't living up to what they had hoped for him to be. But then again, you could also argue the point that creative really hasn't done a whole lot with some of these guys for them to live up to what these contracts um, were supposed to be. So I feel like in some ways for the company, the company's message is, oh, you know, it just, he didn't get over with the audience or merchandise sales were not going so well. So therefore we decided to cut him because it, we're, we're running in the red. But when you have 20 to 40 writers for two different shows, when you bring back Bruce Pritchard, when you do all these different things and you still somehow cannot get people to put eyeballs onto a product, I feel like that falls more on the office than it does the performer. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens and if other people get released. And it will also be interesting to see where Bray ends up. Now, obviously, you know, the the ideal spot I think some fans think would be perfect for him would be on AEW. And I've heard some people say the Dark Order. I don't know. Um, we're going to get into this in one of our later segments about if you could sign one person um, to AEW from the people that have been released who would you pick? And I don't necessarily know if I think that Bray Wyatt would be a guy that I would invest my money into. Let me throw it back to Andrew. Uh, do you think that he would be somebody that if you were running AEW, you would be willing to sign him to a contract? Or you feel like, yeah, I feel like his better days are, are behind him. Like I, I think he has value because like I know from what I've understood and read, his a lot of what he has presented is what he's created out of his own mind. So like the Bray White characters is his creation and the Fiend character is his creation. And I think that the, the WWE kind of just didn't know what to do with it. Uh, so I think there's value there. But I, when I look at like a company like AEW, they're a more kind of a more of a sports oriented, reality based program. So I think that's type of supernatural level character. I don't know if it necessarily fits in the whole mode of AEW as say like the WWE probably could have it fit, you know, with characters they've had over time, like the undertaker. Um, but yeah, like I, I would say there's probably out of the release stars, um, other wrestlers I would sign first over probably Bray Wyatt, um, given his uh, niche that he has built for himself. Let's go ahead and throw it to the butt. Uh, let me ask you the same question. Do you feel like, and depending on how they would use him, do you think he would be an asset that Tony Khan would be willing to open the wallet for? Or do you feel like this is a situation of, oh my God, another WWE guy gets released and yet here comes the speculation of he's probably going to be AEW bound. 
Would you do that for a Bray Wyatt, or would you say, eh, I'm going to pump the brakes a little bit? Nope, I'll pass. Uh, I don't think he'd be the fit there. He's better off going to Mexico or, or Japan or something to where you can play off the Fiend or Bray Wyatt gimmick. AEW, that gimmick wouldn't fit in. You can repackage them, but how many rejects are AEW going to pick up? They're basically WWE 2.0 now. So, nope. Well, I mean, it's interesting from the standpoint of when you look at a company like AEW, where, or you look at a company like Impact, or you look at a, a company like New Japan, and WWE seems to be the company that seems to filter through people pretty quickly, and they tend to get rid of people even before their expiration date has come up. So they try to make sure they maximize somebody, at least they did in the past, maximize them uh, by low, sell high, and, and, and get rid of somebody before they start going on the opposite side of the hill. But nowadays, I would say that if you are Tony Khan, I would be very careful because like uh, the butt said, you don't want to become a 2.0. And you definitely don't want to become what WCW was. And I know a lot of people have been making those references as well. Oh, they're going to bring in this guy. They're going to bring in that guy. Um, they're almost there now. Well, let me yeah. throw it to, to, to Liam here again. Uh, Liam slash Jack. Uh, do you feel like in some ways that AEW needs to stay with their homegrown talent, stay with the people that are on dark and stay the course instead of just always hitting these reboot buttons with people who just happen to become available. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I could go on that. For, <laughs> I tirade of that, you know, for a while, but uh, you know, the thing with AEW right now is they're trying to breed the talents out of Dark, Dark Elevation, I guess Rampage. I, I don't know exactly what they're planning for that, but um, that's kind of like their farm system, kind of like NXT is to WWE. That's kind of like, you know, their uh, their performance center kind of deal, you know. And uh, I think the, the thing to, to, to realize is they have a very big roster right now. And, you know, you can go with two sides of the coin. What? One coin, one side of the coin will say, "Well, Khan uh, has a ton of money; he can do whatever he wants." Okay, sure. Then the other side of the coin is saying, "Well, you know what? You you sign everybody in the world, and it's going to be like the running gag that was going with TNA back in the day. It's like, oh, look who showed up in the Impact Zone, like every month, and it was you know because they would sign anybody that was released to see. And True. I mean, I, I understand why they would try to." Because you want to get the name value on your shows. I get that. You try to bring, like, someone will be flipping the channels like, oh, there's Chris Jericho. I've seen him before. There's yeah, anybody, right? There's Christian, you know? You want to get that name value in there. But at the same time, like, you got to think, like, man, you got to pump the brakes. you got to try to make some profit here. You can't just be signing everybody because that's going to dip into your profits big time, especially when they haven't really done much business through COVID. And it's important that you elevate those stars that are – that are trying to break through. If you can only keep signing established talent, I mean, where's the opportunity for the other the other talent that's uh, beneath them? No, you make a good point on that one, and and I can quickly see where you made the reference to TNA, where you know we've we've seen shoot interviews with people like AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels and whatnot, who said, "Man, this was really cool that they brought these guys in, but what about us?" 
we were here. And then all of a sudden right. we were the X division who made the company what it was. And then all of a sudden they start bringing in these older established stars and it started to drown out those of us who really were the ones that were carrying the company. And I could see where some younger talent would say, you know, the wrestling business has been such a, a formulaic uh, model for so many years. And then AEW comes around and they're willing to do things a little bit differently. I feel like you would get a lot of disgruntled people if it all of a sudden became the land of WWE reject toys. Um, not to say any of their talent is not good. I'm not saying that, but I think you right. understand where I'm going with that. Um, yeah. So as far as Bray Wyatt is concerned, I hope he's doing well. Um, if he is struggling with some things, I hope he's able to get over over those things. But I don't necessarily know if opening your wallet in, in putting another former WWE star on your roster right now is where you want to go. Let's kind of stay the course with the MJFs and let's stay the course with the Britt Bakers and a lot of the stars right now who are really starting to get traction in the company. All right, moving on to our next topic, Adam Cole, baby. Uh, it's been reported that Adam Cole's contract actually fell through the cracks. Uh, he had actually, his contract was coming up and it was about to expire. He went ahead and re-signed with the company. Now, it was reported by many outlets that when he re-signed, he was going to be re-signed all the way through 2024, so he was completely locked up. However, those reports happen to be incorrect. In fact, Adam Cole actually only signed a short-term deal that was only going to take him through SummerSlam of this year. And then he was hoping that that would give them enough time for them to renegotiate. The question I want to give to the panel, and I'm going to go to Andrew first, is this just wishful thinking that Adam Cole potentially could go somewhere else? Or do we think at the end of the day, he's going to re-sign with NXT? Yeah, I... I, I can I can see both sides. Like I think like there is that w little bit of wishful thinking because of like because from what I understand he's he's like dating Britt Baker and like like you can see that kind of like that aspect of him wanting to go over to AEW to be closer to those that he's personally got relationships with and be able to who he can work with. Um, but from what I understand, like a lot of people that are in NXT that haven't really sniffed the main roster, and I'm talking like people like Adam Cole, like Tommaso Ciampa, who seem to ingrain themselves to want to build NXT up as a brand um, and don't want to go up to the main roster um, because it feels like when you go in NXT and you go up to the main roster, you just you die up there. Um, so I can see like given the flexibility that NXT provides, I, I would and what sort of creative freedom they seem to have comparatively to the main roster, I can see why. Um, he want to try to negotiate an opportunity to continue to stay in that in that environment. You know, we've heard from a lot of different talent that they will actually write into their contract now that they will not accept a move to either SmackDown or Raw. Now, which it seems kind of counterproductive when you talk about a wrestler's career. However, they would be willing to take less money to be able to stay in a promotion that they feel like is being run differently than it is on Raw or SmackDown. Let me throw it to the butt here. Let me ask you this question. Uh, people like Tommaso Ciampa, which, which uh, Andrew brought up was a great point, Johnny Gorgano as well, and you can throw in uh, Adam Cole, who've all said, I do not want to go to the main roster. Now, we've talked about this in prior episodes. That seems to be gaining momentum and traction. Do you feel like at some point in time that they're going to take away that opportunity of, of allowing people to stay where they're at and not bring them up? Or do you think, yeah, they're going to have to bring them up at some point? 
they should bring him up at some point. But the hook to that is you got to bring him up and use him. Don't bury him. Don't Keith Lee him, stuff like that. Give him a run. Give him a bit of attention. Give him a push. I mean, that's what I think should happen when it comes to that. And for regards to Cole with his contract, that's a disaster. Somebody's getting gassed over that. Yeah, that's like a big Somebody's got to get fired or at least get Vince's foot straight up their ass. Because that's ridiculous. That that fell through the cracks. Like, give me a break. You got a lot of people that are supposed to be really smart with a lot of degrees, making a lot of money. They can't keep that stuff straight. Come on, you're a knucklehead if you can't figure that out. Well, the person who is actually in charge of that is actually uh, Canyon Seaman. They gassed him. Yeah. uh, Mr. Seaman has had a lot of issues. (laughs) Mr. Seaman. Uh, he was, was believed, that Mr. What? Yeah. Yes, he was. Uh, he was believed. Oh to, he was believed to have been uh, released uh, earlier on, but then that ended up to be incorrect. And then it was no, he is still with the organization. Well, it has been reported now by my good friend, Mr. Brian Alvarez uh, of Wrestling Observer. Which I, you know what? I know that Liam is a big Brian Alvarez fan. I know you love listening to Uncle oh. Dave. Yeah, yeah, every week, every week. He is yeah. is now obviously no longer with the company. This actually was on his desk, and but talked about this. But but Liam, let me ask you this: How, if this is part of your job responsibility to go over contracts, and it, it used to be a situation in WWE where contracts, if they weren't renegotiated between a certain period of time, they would roll over and they would automatically renew. Now it seems like they've changed the way they do contracts. How does? a misfire like this happened and then all of a sudden Adam Cole is a free agent? Um it it everything I understood is that it's it's uh he was he was due to expire at the Great American Bash uh series of shows I guess NXT was doing. I haven't watched NXT in a while so I don't know what's going on. And he did a I don't know verbal handshake agreement or something to basically stay up until around SummerSlam, which I guess probably be around when they have a takeover. Uh, that way they can close out any storylines or anything like that, but I, I don't know how they would make that lapse otherwise, but I'm just going with what I understand is that, you know, it just kind of lapsed and then, you know, they're, they're going to just try to extend it a little bit. And I mean, I'll just say personally, I've never been a massive fan of his. Uh, I think he's he's excellent on the mic. Like he's a he does a great promo. Um, he's got he's got some good psychology in the ring and all that. But I you know, I I just get I I kind of look at him and go like, okay, well the guy he needs to take it to the next level and work out a little bit harder. I know that's that's a common criticism of him, but you know, my arms are bigger than his, and I'm not even a professional so i mean like what's that tell you and, and you know but you but you he, were uh, going but you were going to train in uh, 1999 back in 1999 that was that was a thing right yeah that that joke hasn't been worn out as fuck <laughs> but whatever um <laughs> not on this show my friend we recycle yeah, that shit like you wouldn't believe yeah jim mcmahon he's still in the hotel there somewhere anyways um <laughs> so fuck um <laughs> But as far as uh, 
<laughs> um, as far as you know, as far as him like going forward, though, I mean, like you know, there's not really any point of him going to say the main roster because, uh, I mean, like, because like if they did re-sign him and he went there, I mean, what's he what's he gonna do? I mean, he's he's a small small guy, and yeah, he has he has a lot of name value, but I mean. We see kind of kind of how that goes with WWE these days. Uh, it seems like seventy five percent of the guys that go from NXT up to there up to uh, main roster end up getting buried or they don't reach, reach their full potential. Um, but you know, he he could always we could always do the whole AEW thing. And I mean, who knows? There there's a there's a chance because he's I guess engaged to Britt Baker, and uh, you know he seems to be friends with all all the people there, like. He's friends with the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, all those guys, and uh, you know th- there could be a there could be a spot there for him. He's a former Bullet Club member, so I mean, whatever, right? But I, I just I don't I don't think that he's got the cachet maybe that um, everybody thinks he does. He would make an impact for a few weeks, and then it would be like, well, he's another bit player. Well, I mean, I think something that oh. should be looked upon. Yeah, and wow, I mean, get that shovel out, man! I tell you what, Barry. No, job. no, 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 no. I'm not. I'm no, not I, saying. I, I'm not saying I get terrible. It. Yeah. Exactly. I'm no, not. I. I get what you're saying, though. But I mean, yeah. think about it. Uh, Roderick Strong and Bobby Fish. I mean, they're kind of in that same genre as well. Are you when you bring those guys right. up? What are you going to do with them? Um, well, I mean, like you could you could take it from the sense that, like you know. Uh, Roderick Strong, he's he's a twenty year professional. He's excellent. He he's he's way better than Adam Cole, in my opinion, but he doesn't have the charisma. Right. And then you take Red Dragon, which is Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly. Excellent tag team. They've been in New Japan, they've been all around the world. They've done some excellent work and they would they give anybody a run for their money as far as tag teams go. And individually they're great too. So you can take all those guys, and that's awesome. I, I wish they hadn't broken up the Undisputed Era because everybody was clamoring for that on the main roster. Saying, man, if they come up, that could really start to turn the tables on ratings, start to get more people interested because it's more of the quote-unquote indie guys, which people say. And that would have that would have really started to turn some heads. Let me but go and they, they pulled the trigger on it, unfortunately, and that sucks. Let me go and throw it over to Andrew. So, you know, there's so many different connections. It's the six degrees of Kevin Bacon here. So uh, he's got a relationship with Bullet Club uh, being a member. Obviously, he's dating Britt Baker. Obviously, the doors opened between not only Impact Wrestling, but New Japan as well. It's got a lot of attractive elements. If he wants to go and spend some time in Japan, he can do that. If there's some people that he'd like to tear it up with in Impact, uh, let's just say a Josh Alexander, for example, or Chris Bay, for example, or if he wants to go ahead and stay in, in AEW right now, I think he could have great matches with Ray Phoenix. I think he had great ra- matches with Sammy Guevara. He just has more opportunities, in my opinion, to showcase his abilities as opposed to staying in NXT. Do you think those additional elements would be attractive to him? I think it would. Like When I look at someone like like Adam Cole and his and his skill set, his body type, as as Jack there mentioned, like he's not a big guy. Like he's not someone, you know, and we've everybody's kind of joked about the WWE for the last 30 years. That's kind of the land of the Giants. And there's been some, you know, kind of sub, you know, subversion to that with certain characters like Daniel Bryan and, and so forth. But you know, with someone like Adam Cole, without the undisputed era going to the main roster, is just not as 
imposing as as him going up there individually himself. And so I can see like going to AEW kind of fits more to his mold because um, he's got he's more of that athletic type that you see in characters like the Young Bucks, like Kazarian, like uh, Sammy Guevara. That I feel like he can create good stories and and create um, something that can be very memorable that that attracts that audience more than staying in NXT, which I think. Like, I love the Undisputed Area, but I feel like it, the Undisputed Area had been around for like two or three years and it had kind of run roughshod all through NXT. So I think it run its course to the point where there's not much more left to go except for just to fight each other, which is what they end up doing. So I feel like Adam Cole has kind of done everything he can do at NXT and doesn't have a whole lot left to accomplish other than either going up to the main roster or leaving. And I feel like going to AEW is probably going to be for him, if he's considering his options, is probably going to be more attracted to him than just going up to the main roster. It's interesting when we start talking about, you know, fantasy booking, because we all do it privately, whether we discuss it or not. We we fantasy book who could go here, who could go there, what are some matches we would like to see. And I know the butt is uh is a big fan um of the cruiserweights and the high flyers, aren't you, Butt? You you love the high flying and the and the jumping around. And I heard you're a big fan of private party. Um yeah. I, I know. I, I are you gonna order a private party t shirt by any chance? Seven of them. Seven private parts. You know what? That's a dedicated Yo. fan right there. Yeah. Um, would you would you be a fan of seeing Adam Cole either going to impact? Because we're seeing, you know, Chris Bay obviously is going to be joining Bullet Club, or you know, with Jay White, there's at least that implied aspect that he would do that. Do you think it would be cool to see Adam Cole in different promotions that he could continue to travel back and forth and have matches instead of just Hey, I'm in NXT. What am I gonna do next? I'd rather see him bounce around, go to different, different federations and whatnot. That'd be what's probably gonna be best for his career, probably financially as well. I I don't think he would benefit from staying in NXT. Nothing left for him. Been there, done that. Uh, He's reached a pinnacle there. There's nothing more. He can kick around, make a good living. You know, he'll be the big fish in a small pond type of thing. Or he can, you know, travel around, work for different people. He could put out some great matches. I personally like Adam Cole. I think he's very entertaining. So, I mean, I'd love to see him pull off some matches. I mean, I don't know a whole lot about Impact, guys, unfortunately. I know a little bit here, a little bit there. Uh, him and Josh Alexander would be fantastic. I think that'd be great. Uh, him and Guevara. Uh, him and Hangman Page, if he went to AEW. I'm a big Hangman Page guy. I mean, that's where I think there would be more entertainment value. Is if he left NXT, WWE to the main roster will be a disaster. If he goes up there, he's done. He's going to get buried. He's either going to be seen as nothing, just get the tar beat out of him every week, be a whipping post, be a nobody. That'd be a disaster. He's too good for that. Well, there's something else that needs to be talked about here, too. Um, Adam Cole has gone on record saying that his two favorite wrestlers growing up were Triple H and Shawn Michaels. And Triple H and Shawn Michaels are two people who are heavily involved not only at the Performance Center, but within NXT. So you're working with two people who you idolize. 
and they're big fans of Adam Cole. So it's it's one of those situations where you're working with your idols, and then your idols actually really like you, and it's almost that it's a dream. You know what I mean? Like it's it's something that you always aspire to have. Like if you're a big, a big football fan and you get to play for the Packers and all of a sudden you're working with Brett Favre and then Brett Favre likes you. It's just, it's a perfect situation for him for, to be a fanboy. Um, and I don't mean that in a, in a derogatory way, but I mean, that's, I mean, he's kind of marking out as well, even though he's in the business. Um, but yeah, NXT, in my opinion, and Andrew, you and I've talked about this over the years. It used to be something that was just must see. You know, forget Raw and SmackDown, but that was the thing you have to see with the takeovers. And then it feels like over time we've started to kind of get away from those being must-sees. And then when people would come to the main roster, like, you know, you would have Keith Lee, who's a perfect example, and and Karrion Cross, and then Cross beats Lee, Lee beats Cross. Who's really going to look superior now going into – the next takeover um are you really hurting your champion um there's just so many question marks when you see things like this that make you wonder did they ever have a direct plan for this individual or are they just flying by the seat of their pants and if you're adam cole and you know at some point i've already done everything in nxt they are going to move me up am i just going to be like but said am i just going to be another casualty of just falling by the wayside are they going to want me to change something about myself aka keith lee you know where they made him change his outfit to some degree so if i was adam cole i would weigh my options but obviously it's it's a money business and if they're going to throw a ton of money your way that's going to set you up comfortably for the rest of your life and it's definitely something to think about um any final comments on this topic before we move on anyone can just jump in here yeah, I'll say like you know when we look at the NXT and kind of seeing like the main roster of of call ups they've had over the years that like and I kind of just kind of look back over the years since like going back to like the 2014 and 15 it seems like the only real talent that's gone up that's actually done things that have been top stars like when it was actually officially NXT is mostly the women like you're talking Charlotte Becky Sasha and, and Bailey are probably like the the four horsewomen of, are really the only stars from NXT that have actually stayed been main events mainstays in their in their divisions as they've gone up like all due respect to like say kevin owens or or roman reigns or seth rollins but like i even don't even put roman reigns and seth rollins in that book because they were technically fcw so it's like when look at the on the male perspective there hasn't been any real star that's really kind of been a main event mainstay since they've been called up from nxt no, point well made. Good point on that one. Um, I remember I enjoyed Shinsuke. And were you a big fan of Shinsuke, Andrew? Yeah, I like I like Nakamura when he uh, when he came into NXT, had that big uh, de- debut against uh, Sami Zayn. Like, and I followed him in, in New Japan when he had a match with AJ Styles before AJ Styles went over. So I thought that he was someone that could be special. And he came up to the main roster, started out pretty well. You know, you know, having that big stare down with AJ and the Money in the Bank, winning the World Rumble, and having the kind of a decent match at WrestleMania, and then it just kind of all fell down from there. So he, like he had a good first year, but then kind of just kind of sh- got lost in the shuffle afterwards. It seems like that seems he's to be the, the shuffle. He's the shits. <laughs> which which one? Say Braun Strowman and Bray Wyatt were in NXT as well. So. No, 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 no that's go. true. Hold on. Hold on a second. As the moderator, I have to, I have to jump in here. Sorry. Who is who is the shits? Who is the Nakamura? Shits? Why is he the shits, bud? Terrible. Okay. He's not entertaining. He looks like a 
fucking dumbass come into the ring. He looks like a dumbass. Okay, <laughs> all right. He's he's nothing. Everybody talks about oh he's so great. Him and AJ over in Japan. Fair. That was a great match. Name me five more matches he's had that were worth a damn outside of that. You don't like Rick Boogs, really? I don't Let, know who the fuck Rick Boogs is. You know what, Andrew? Andrew, it's your hey, it's your turn. Go ahead and tell him some great matches from Shinsuke Nakamura. Oh, like well, again, there's the AJ one. There's um, he had there's the, the, I think it was against Naito. He had um, when they were when they that they had the Intercontinental match that was on the main event because he chose that over the IWGP title. Um, the Sami Zayn match at Dallas was a really great match. Um, like. The WrestleMania match against AJ, which I feel like didn't get the credit deserved. I think it was a pretty underrated match. Um, but yeah, there's he, he's got this charisma that you know it's easy to kind of just I can see why he's not entertaining to some, but I feel like he's always been someone who can, when he's in the right environment, can really shine. I would agree. He he's not for everyone, um, but he can put on a good match, and it just kind of depends on the perspective of a of a fan you are and what you're looking for. Uh, late breaking news here: we got hide my dick. Let's go ahead and add him into the feed here. There he is. Yeah. Where in the world okay, has our resident anarchist been? Where have you been? I'm in Kalamazoo, Michigan, currently, and I was out in a town about 20 minutes away helping my friend that I am visiting while we visited our other friend who's the reason why we're all here. Nice. So, Very nice. So so how's, life been, how's life treating you? Pretty good. The road trip was nice and decent. So I was on the road from like 5 p.m. yesterday, my time until like 3 a.m. Eastern time because time, time zone change. So. Wow. Um, we, not too bad. You, you missed our first segment, but you're in segment two here. Adam Cole is our current uh, discussion piece. And, as we know, the contract situation, it is what it is. Um, they have let it lapse. He's now on kind of a handshake deal right now. He renegotiated until SummerSlam. We're talking about where we think Adam Cole could go and where we think Adam Cole should go. Should he stay with NXT or should he decide to tip, dip his toes into the water and maybe go through that uh, forbidden door? What's your take? So, wouldn't be surprised with the Forbidden Door, considering, you know, the significant others there and such. You know, they've made that work. Really, it's more up to him and what he wants to do. It's cool that he was able to work out a, you know, an extension and be there for a little bit longer to ride things out and not just leave a story open-ended and kill it. So, that's, you know, props to him for being a professional. So, you know, that's professional. So, that's awesome. It's right. We need Mikey. Someone hit a sound button. <laughs> but uh, it's I'm excited to see what other matches he could have because I've seen some of his evolved stuff and his early stuff with people you know who are actually in AEW and um, it suits his work style more. I think he could take what he's learned from Hunter and NXT and you know etc. and continue to move forward. So, but it's up to him. It really is. So, I I like the guessing game. I like that we're all unsure anymore and we're all actually curious. That to me is awesome. I like the uncertainty. It's always that it's always that fantasy booking, that oh, yeah. fantasy booking. All right, so let's go ahead and let's move on. Should should, should somebody call the doctor? Are, we, are, are you doing okay, there, buddy? He's dying. It, it's oh, not my. me; it's my buddy. But yeah, we're fine. <laughs> 
Okay. <laughs> <We're fine. laughs> uh, let, let's throw this next one here. I think it's a very interesting one. Oh, my God. I know Liam is going to go after this one. But Ric Flair has been released from WWE. Now, that's not really the big thing. <coughs> the big thing is he's been released from WWE. But what were the... What's the situation around that? Now, there's different reports depending on who you like to listen to. I like to go and listen to my good buddy Brian Alvarez because I'm an Alvarez guy. I'm a Twitch homie. Um, he's basically saying a conversation he had with Dave Meltzer. And Dave says he actually has a copy of the text message that went out. Allegedly, Rick had an issue with the way that Charlotte was being booked within WWE. And he was not in favor of that. And he expressed his concerns to Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon said that he professionally disagreed. And Rick then said, well, I would like to go ahead and be let out of my contract. Now, that is the story coming from The Observer. Let's go ahead and let's first throw it to Mr. Savage because I believe he may have a different story. So, Liam... What's your take on the whole situation and how this went down? Only trust the official word. That's what I say every time. Only trust what's official and what's been actually reported as fact. Meltzer has a... Meltzer thought that Mabel was going to be the third man in the NWO, so you know what I think of him. Okay, that's it. There you go. So, fuck him. Um, <laughs> Rumor and innuendo, exactly. So, um, the, hey, the thing hey, is, hey, hey, that's not my shtick. My shtick is, I know. Yeah, we're not talking yeah. about the the other guy. I, I said no names. Oh, I don't. Yeah, I don't know who you're talking about. Yeah. Um. So Rick requested his release, and I sent this to Freeland earlier on because I wanted to make sure it got uh, said on the show tonight. But Rick put out a statement earlier saying he requested his release and he's available now to talk to you uh, for other interviews and blah, blah, and all that so he can tell his side of the story. So when we hear his side of the story, we will know the truth. So people need to stop speculating. Rumors can only go so far. Meltzer has made a career on this. Yes, he's right sometimes, but other times he's very wrong. So Rick requested his release. And the thing is, they were paying him for really not doing anything. I mean, you know, I think it's it's probably like a you know just just an ambassador um, type of contract. Yeah, I mean, like it, it's kind of like a charity thing almost at this point because he's in his seventies, and let let's not discount Ric Flair. I mean, he's one of the greatest of all time. We all know that. But when you get to this point in your life, I mean, you know, he's made some bad choices with his money. Let's just you know be honest about that. And if he's getting paid by WWE to just have a ambassador role or something, I mean, that's fine. But, you know, like, if he was getting paid more to be on TV once every uh, six months, I mean, that's that's a little insane. And that might lead into the whole Nick Khan um, thoughts on the whole situation, right? And, um, I mean, like, going back to the whole Meltzer thing, he said it was Vince's decision. We don't know that. It might have been what you said that, you know, there was some talk about uh, Rick saying that he didn't like how Char Charlotte was portrayed on TV. And there's a very good chance of that. I mean, because he's he's her dad, you know, he could have a whole say in that. But I mean, Vince is the final word. And he's probably like, well, you don't like it, pal. Get the fuck out. 
Well, he said that. So, <laughs> and that's what happened. So he's done. I like it. I like it. You you'll never. What happens if I get you a subscription to the Observer? Would that be okay with you? Would you would you read <laughs> no, it? No, because I wouldn't read it. Oh, it's a rag. Because it's a rag. You're a mess. You're a it's rag. rag. Uh huh. Let's You're go ahead and throw it. Over. Rag. Yeah, but yeah. So <laughs> you. Guys. My so, God. Let's let's throw it to somebody who oh, has God. class and manners. Andrew, <laughs> jump in on this one. So Ric Flair was he was he let go because I mean at the end of the day, he's a 71 year old man who honestly does not bring a whole lot of value to the product, even if he's on uh, Charlotte's side being a manager or a mouthpiece or whatever. Do you think this is a situation of they were going to get rid of him, but they allowed him to gracefully bow out on his own? Like, yeah, again, I, I kind of side with Jack on all this. Like, you know, whether it was his decision or Vince's, it really doesn't kind of really matter a whole lot. Like I can easily see either side in this case, like, you know, we just talked earlier about Bray Wyatt being released, and if Bray Wyatt's being released because of budget cuts, like, why would they keep someone like Ric Flair, who's 72 years old and who hasn't been on TV for months, and when he does pop on TV, he's not really doing much of any anything of consequence except being beat up by Batista. Um, so, like, I can see that being, you know, a situation like, you know, we're not getting any value out of him being a talent. Why keep him on contract when we can just – keep him in kind of some sort of an ambassador role, which is doesn't require a town contract to maintain or something where he can do things on the side with WWE without having to be like locked into a contract. Let's go ahead and let's throw it over to Anton. Uh, Ric Flair, man, woo, taking his clothes off, woo! throwing <laughs> his shoes everywhere, hanging out in his underoos. You know, okay, that's great, and it was fun, and it really was. It was fun to watch, you know, an old man take his clothes off and woo, and we all got a good laugh at it. But at one point in time, this became same old song and dance. It's time to hang it up. Do you think that Ric Flair has any redeeming value when it comes to wrestling? So, mind-wise, yeah. Like, it, the man knows how to tell a story. It, is he probably a great teacher? No, probably not, or he's probably been doing that well along the years. But the value of like Jake Roberts and all these old school cats, the knowledge, if you will sit and listen to them, they do know what they're talking about. Is it always true to a T? No, but they know what they're doing. But it's, you know, they, I heard uh, someone talk about it recently. I forgot who it was, but they were talking about it was uh, Bob Holly and Team and Cody and shit like that. And how Dusty had to like stay away the fuck out of it, like went out of his way to stay out of it, depending on who you ask. At a certain point, you have to like you may want the best for your kid, etc. You're no longer in your prime by you speaking up. You're actually doing detriment. You're not helping. So it is what it is. And as much as I love Ric Flair, I do love me some old school Ric Flair. Ric Flair's stick has been the same since like 1985. Same, like thing. all of it. <laughs> like be be real about it. Yeah. You know, Ric Flair has been the same since 1985. Which I get his point on it. He wanted to see Ray Stevens do the Stevens flip and etc. So he had to give you what you wanted to see or he felt he wasn't doing his job. I get it. But Flair's been the same since 85. So, eh. It, he has value. But to me, cut if you're budget cutting, why are you cutting talent you actually have on TV and are doing shit with? Why aren't you cutting the people that you paid to literally do nothing like Ric Flair? No, I, I mean, I agree. I love Ric Flair. I'm really not trying to shit on this. You know, in which if it was his release, you know, specifically if it's some over dumb, petty shit like that, entirely on him 
but you blew all your money. We're all aware of this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there, yeah. There's a reason why when you were, you know, taking the loss at Mania against Michaels, you were paying Vince back then. <laughs> so him he probably does need the money if we're being honest, but between rappers, music videos, commercials, etc., he is still getting money, but not that. So I don't throw my hands up on this one. I have like <laughs> Rick Flair can be drippy, slippy, whippy, whatever he would like to be. Unfortunately, what? I yeah, drippy, you know that's all Rick about Flair the, drip. Yeah, it's about Rick the Flair being drip. drippy. Woo on a bitch. Yeah. No. Oh my god. He's got the drip and he's supposed to be a doctor. He got yeah, a shot true. Well, so you drip is some form of yeah. new slang. Like if you're dripping in diamonds and ice and shit, it's supposed to be shit tons, mean, cool, etc. So Ric Flair drip is a way of saying you're cool as shit. But I think the same thing y'all do. When I hear the word drip, I think of, you know, the clap. You have an STD and you should probably go get that checked out. That's not <laughs> yeah. good. Something. <laughs> something. Do you need drip you yeah. somebody who listens to any kind of no, but I, I, I'm not saying yeah. you shit would have had an STD at one point in time. I mean, jewelry and shit. Do I no, but, but something that gives a flying fuck about that? Oh, no. no. Hold on a second. You know what? We have breaking news. We need to go ahead and we need to find out where are you on the <laughs> happiness chart? We got to find oh, out God. because you seem I'm very in the red zone all day. <laughs> you are in the red zone. I, I get that That's feeling. Straight off. What did I miss? Oh my! The, the butt, the butt is just very unhappy. He's got his flannel buttoned all the way up to his neck. He's upset because the the Waltons didn't come through on his me TV, and and I don't what? know. Yeah, that's what he told. He texted me that the Waltons, the Walt. You're a big Waltons fan, aren't you? I actually do. Oh like God, yeah. <laughs> of course he does. All I right, do. but, but but let me ask you the question here, Rick Flair. Uh, okay, he's gone. He's released. We don't know if there's a sixty day, a ninety day. Uh, he might not even live that long. The point is, it should be. A, oh, it should be a, it should, oh, don't even, don't even give me Come that crap, on. you guys. Are you kidding I'm me? Not, I'm not. He'll live forever. He's still alive now, so yeah, he's gonna he, live for like another twenty years. Listen, so. listen. He exactly. had a two percent chance when he was hooked up to the mo those machines because his liver said, "Hey, peace. I'm leaving." Um, the point Probably is now. Do you want to see him <laughs> in an AEW? But this no. is. No. Why do you not want to do you, you don't want to see him, you know, meeting oh, up no. there with Tully in the back and Arn and no. not friends with Arn anymore. I, I like Ric Flair and him being the same since 85. I'm a okay with that. I just don't want to see him go to AEW for the same reason. I don't want to see Bray go or anything else is not the land of the rejects. They can't do it. They gotta no. stop it. I agree. Now, if he makes a cameo appearance, just hey, like a one-off type, like of an thing, Eric Bischoff type I of deal, deal with that. But you cannot bring him in and have him on a roster. That is dumber than dog shit. Terrible idea. Wow. You can't do that, Andrew. This you're getting just stupid. There's no point. Here we go. He's he's just he's getting revved no, up here. No, I'm, I'm trying not to. I need to go. Getting hot. Dark, dark red one. Now. Yes, get your get yourself something if you need some. I'm not condoning anything, but if you feel the necessary need, uh, water is something I recommend. Here's the deal. The reason yeah, I got why that doesn't do it for me. The reason why the butt has the the scale behind him is he often will let us know how he's feeling, but he will also grade other people on how they're behaving. And uh, whoa, you got is that the uh, 
Oh, I should. No, say I was just saying I... it's me that's usually you know against. But I I was about to say in the I... red zone. Yes, he's definitely in the reds. I was going to make a comment about that look like rope, but you know what? I'm not going to make a rope wrestling reference. Okay, it's a power cord. No. Yeah, charging my computer so I can stay on the show. Good. All right. <laughs> Good. Don't don't pull any don't any pull any Wolverine stuff. Let's go over to uh Andrew. Uh let me ask you this. Do you want to see him even make a cameo in AEW? I w- would that make any difference if he just came out with uh the Pinnacle and Tully or are you like, hey, "I'm over it." Yeah, I, I I love Flair. Like Flair was one of my uh, favorites growing up. Um, but like I I kind of agree with with the butt here in terms of like have him be kind of on, on a cameo, not necessarily with like the pinnacle, but like I remember like when AAU AAU started started and they they uh, presented the the title belt and they had Bret Hart come out and Bret and present it. Then we haven't right. really seen Bret Hart since. Or like when Eric Bischoff did the moderation for the debate, we haven't seen him since. Like things like that where he comes in is like. And an ambassador, as you know, kind of like the, the old generation passing things off to a new generation. I, I'm fine with that, um, but yeah, I don't think he should be someone who should be like, you know, on the inner circle fighting against, on the opposite Tully Blanchard against the Pinnacle or something like that. I think he just needs to come in, do his like little, you know, get the name value out there and walk away. Yeah, I could not agree with you more. New guy is pretty smart. He's not real smart because he's dumb enough to come on this with us. But he's pretty smart. <laughs> no, Andrew is very smart. Yeah. He's very good at his wrestling. Yeah, I he and I have MRT smart. I mean, very smart. <laughs> so, do we all agree? You know, we like Rick, but we don't necessarily feel like he would have a place long term. Correct. Right. Yeah. Not at this point. Unfortunately. Not, not well. If it ain't at this point, it ain't definitely be at any point. Um, and I'm not trying to be pessimistic here, but I mean, let's be honest. Let's call a spade a spade. Um, all right. So the last thing I want to get into is really interesting because I feel like, I feel like Crowbar touched upon this in a, a little bit, but I feel like we need to discuss it. Nick oh. Gage and oh. Chris Jericho. Oh my God. Fucking hell. Oh my <laughs> no. God. Watch your language. You believe right this? Hey, hey, let's check in with the butt. But we're, right now, when I say the name yeah. Nick Gage, how does that make you feel? Right here. Angry. Right? Angry. Wow. Out of control. <laughs> Out of control. On the verge of being real mean. Whoa. Real fucking mean. Whoa. I'm waiting yeah. to do some yelling because this is fucking dumb. Why do you remind yeah. me when, when, when the butt turns his head and I see that little earpiece right there, why do I feel like I, I see Mick from uh, Rocky? Come on, Rock! He's got the little ear thing in there for his <laughs> hearing aid. Well, I'm about three feet taller than him. <laughs> and I'm not 95. Bes- besides <laughs> that, you just you have that Mick feel. Come on, Rock! Alright, so let me get your, your take. Nick Gage, we do know that you slightly do like him. Um, so what's your take on Nick Gage versus Chris Jericho? What did you think about that match? Dumb. Just dumb. Why? Why do we keep putting that knucklehead on TV? Okay. Why well, is Jericho stooping so low as to do a death match with Nick Gage? Well, it was a one off. It was a one off. And, and how did you think that? Did you see the match itself? I seen highlights and it sucked. It you saw highlights dumb. and it sucked. It was the, there's no point to it. I get that you're trying to do the Jericho's got to take on five people bullshit with MJF, but 
Nick Gage can't wrestle worth a lick. There's zero entertainment value unless you're some lunatic in a trailer park cooking meth <laughs> that you would find him entertaining. Oh my God. Fucking wow. taking around <laughs> out of your sister. Well, <laughs> hold on. We need to back this up. Unless you're unless you're a knucklehead doing meth living in a trailer park dating your sister, would you find Nick Gage to be entertaining? Yes. And I'm right. I I wow. Uh before it's terrible. I oh. before I give you my by the way, I'm gonna remember that and write that down. That is great. Oh. Uh resident anarchist, uh you have to be able to appreciate we talked about this, all different styles of wrestling. And I did watch the whole match of Nick Gage and I watched the highlights. He's not incompetent in the ring, despite how <coughs> our friends from another country may believe. What was your take on that match itself? So I laughed my ass off after the pizza cutter into the pop-up Domino's commercial because I'm that horrible of a person that the moment I'm sitting there watching this, getting ready for work, smoking, going about my business, see dude get cut with a pizza cutter and then a Domino's commercial pops up. I fucking laughed maniacally because I have that twisted of a sense of humor that I'm like, that's fucking funny. I was like, they're pissed. That is exactly what Bischoff and everyone else was talking about. But I was like, that's horrible marketing 101, but that's marketing fucking 101. That was hilarious to me on a fucked up level. It was perfect um, timing. Oh, yeah. It was, you know, they didn't plan that. No. But the just things in the universe, man. Things in the universe just fucking was supposed to happen. And it was fucking gold to me. You could never have that happen again. But and it won't. But it was fucking great to me. So he isn't totally incompetent. I even found a video of him from like 99 wrestling his brother when they're really, you know, 20 years ago. So he's 20 and sent it to the group chat, in which I'm like, it's a hardcore match, but it's actually got a lot more wrestling in it, and he proves he can work. Like, it's, you know, he's not, you know Jericho would have just beat the shit out of him if, you uh, yeah, it wasn't what Jericho wanted. You know, Jericho's old school. You're either going to work, or I'm going to beat the shit out of you. <laughs> so, well, but, but, yeah. but you also Go got to think, Jericho would have never gone for something like this if he thought it was going to be an absolute shit show. Like, right. He understands the, the marketing, the, the appeal of it right now, and so does Matt Cardona. I mean, you have to look at it from the standpoint of it's about getting eyes on a product, getting the word out there. It, wasn't it Vince McMahon who once said there is no such thing as bad publicity? Yes, more than once. He has more than once said there is no such thing as bad publicity. And that's a statement I always feel is a double-edged sword because it's definitely true. There really is no such thing as bad publicity unless you're like Joey Ryan or doing you know shit of that nature. In which case, yes, because that is bad publicity. <laughs> no one's ever going to fucking touch you with a 10-foot pole again. You know, it is what it is. Different story. So I was impressed that Jericho did what he did. I really was considering he's 50 and doesn't have to do any of that. I'm sure he also probably told Gage, you know, look, we can either do this right or we cannot. I'm sure he's seen the Arquette thing and he narrated Dark Side of the Ring. So it's not like he's not aware 100% of the situation. So I agree. Well put. Um, let's go ahead over to Andrew. Uh, the whole Nick Gage situation. Um, how close have you been following that? Because obviously it's a very niche thing. Not everyone likes that stuff. Not everyone likes the light tubes, the pizza cutters. We've all seen, um, or at least I've seen the documentary with uh, 
David Arquette. I think it's like Finding Arquette or something to that nature where he stabbed him in the jugular. And I think that seems to be the the Can thread that everyone that? goes with. Oh, he stabbed him in the jugular. Can I make a note on that? Hold that thought for one second. Yeah, like I, I feel like with, with Nick Gage, um, like in death, the death match wrestling, that's definitely not something I've ever really gotten into. Like I, I grew up around in the height of ECW and, and I definitely like that style. I, I kind of folk agree with like what Crowbar said in his interview earlier in terms of like he like I like the, the style of hardcore wrestling that kind of like with Sabu, RVD, Jerry Lynn, the style that they brought back to ECW and kind of using the, the ring, the stuff around the ring to try to use as hardcore, like lifting the map up to expose the concrete, chairs, tables, things like that to kind of add a little bit more to than just the standard wrestling. Um, as opposed to like having a pizza cutter in your shorts pocket and using it and have it timed out to a pizza commercial, which I agree was hilarious as well. Um, <laughs> Thank that you. was awesome. Um, but uh, yeah, I, 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 someone mentioned it in the comments over here, but like, I agree that they like AEW knows their demographic audience, like that 18 to 34, you know, hardcore wrestlers that are, ingrained in all the different styles of wrestling right now including deathmatch so they're watching like the the david arquette documentaries the dark side of the ring uh, documentaries and and with nick gage's documentary coming out well like a month ago yep. so there's definitely was some buzz around nick gage and, and and kudos to AEW to try to capitalize on that to get more eyeballs to the show because that that match with chris jericho was the most violent show violent match i've seen on free television out, outside of a pay-per-view i think i've ever seen um so I, that was a little uncomfortable for me um watching the, the product on television but it definitely uh you know brought more eyeballs to the brought some buzz to the company do you think that's a one-off andrew do you do you think as far as the nick gage singer do you think depending on you know what jericho says or what tony khan says that could lead to I don't know, hypothetically speaking, uh, a John Moxley, Nick yeah. Gage thing, or do you think eh, as a one-off type of deal, we, we, we hit it and we're getting out. Yeah. It's tough to say. Like I, I, with anything in the wrestling business, it's never say never, obviously. Um, and I know John Moxley's probably crazy enough to probably want to do something with Nick Gage and AEW at some point, but I feel like they don't want to try to go to that well too frequently. Like if they do it like, you know, once a year, I'm okay with it, but like, yeah, it can't be a regular thing. Agreed. Uh, Anton, you said you wanted to have a rebuttal on this. So the floor is yours. So the, my rebuttal, rebuttal is only on the fucking David Arquette thing. So I've seen that match actually, in which Gage should have probably told him at some point, Hey, after I smash you in the head with these light tubes, I'm going to stab you in the forehead with it because that's where that goes wrong. Actually, as he's gouging him in the forehead, Arquette freaks out, and Arquette is the one who fucking moves, jumps. Arquette caused himself to get stabbed, actually. Gage didn't intentionally try to stab him in the neck in any way, shape, or form. And I will only defend this because I've seen it, and I've seen how Arquette reacted from a few different angles, like fan perspective and something else, and from the Arquette documentary. Arquette spazzed out and caused himself to get stabbed in the neck. So, while it it's shitty... You know, the whole situation is shitty, but it really was a freak accident. But I think Gage should have told him beforehand, hey, yo, at some point, I'm going to smash you over the head with these, and then I'm going to pick up a fucking piece of it, and I'm going to gouge you in the forehead a couple times. Is that cool? Because he's a Hollywood actor who makes his money off of his face. You should probably fucking at least ask that before you fucking do it, and dude fucking spazzes out and then accidentally stab him in the fucking neck. 
What kind of a psychopath does that? What goes through your fucking brain bucket to think, I'm going to smash my head with a fluorescent tube and shank him with it? I oh, think it's good. Bad. A normal but I, person but I does think not it, think like that. It's good yeah. wrestling, though, bud. Well, you have I to mean, agree it's good wrestling. Yeah, it's that, good wrestling. It's it's highly entertaining wrestling. Come on, but you have I to mean, agree. How, so realistically, oh how God. different is it than oh. Abby stabbing people with the fork? Like how? How that was stupid much? too. Yeah. And we saw it two weeks ago with fucking Archer and Moxley, literally on live TNT TV, got in front of the hard camera, both pouring buckets, stabbing each other with a fork. Oh. Yeah, but and I think I only put it in the same category. Think no, about it from this yeah, perspective, though. Abby gave. I'm just uh, asking. I'm just asking. It, it's more of a question. I'm more asking. I want rebuttal. Like a- Abby gave uh, Hannibal uh, hepatitis C. Yes. Okay. Now we don't know any other people who've given anyone else hepatitis C. Uh, but but I want to get back to the butt here real quick. Uh, we we need to talk about this real quick. There's. I I want you to name one thing about Nick Gage that you like before. This show goes off the air. You have to name one aspect about Nick Gage, and it can't be, you know, smarmy. It has to be something that you legitimately think he does well. Is that fair? Sure. Awesome. <laughs> good deal. Thank you so much. That's, that's pretty good. No, no, no. I'm not taking your answer right now on that. Um, anybody's other comments, thoughts about the situation here? Because I feel personally, and I don't normally share my, my take on this. I usually let the panel discuss, but the labors of Jericho or whatever the hell it's referred to as Juventud Guerrero is going to be your last one. Is that, is he the last no, one? No, no. This is the third oh, one. No. There's two more. Oh, okay. Two more. Okay. Our third. Our- I get it. I get it. They had a feud. I get it. But what you want to do is, in my opinion, you would want to like build it up, 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 up. And then the last one is like, oh, my God, this is the Mecca. Now, you, you've you already jumped the shark with doing something with Nick, Nick Cage. Mm-hmm. You already went crazy. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, you're going, you're going, you're going with, Back. you're going backwards. You're going to Hoovy Juice. And I don't know how many people, uh, I don't know. I just don't feel like it's the it's the right way to go. Uh, jump in here, Liam. I'm not sure what kind of hand gestures you're doing here. Well, because it, you usually forget me when it comes to the end of a topic. But anyways, wow. go ahead. Are you? What? I never forget wow. you. No, never. Never. By the way, is there any chance if I send you an MDK but, shirt, you would wear yeah, it? Yeah, go ahead. Would you wear it? Is there a what? If I sent you an MDK wear shirt, what? would you wear it? I'll tell you what I would do. Oh, Here's gosh, what I would do. Be great. <laughs> I would take it. I would uh, wipe it on my cat's ass. Okay. Okay. Then I would take it and throw it on the concrete. Okay. And I would take my dick out and piss all over it. You and know then, what? I, 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 hold on. I'm really glad you clarified what? that. Instead of just saying I would piss on it, you, you <laughs> I would take my unit out, and then piss on it. All right, continue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'd let my cat piss on it first. Right. And then I would piss on it just to add insult to injury, but whatever. Who's paying for the t-shirt? Be no name Freeland. <laughs> Freeland. Freeland, not me. What makes you think Anyways. that I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be? No, I can't do that. You suggested I, it, not me. I rely, I'm not fucking doing it. I rely I, on the kindness of our listeners. I have a horrible suggestion. 
Yes, please. Oh, no. but, Liam, if it could get worse from, than this, please. Oh yeah, no, just because I know I know Liam and I know how his brain works. So from here, you give it to a homeless dude, work? so it smells like piss, and then you tell him to rob a bank. <gasps> oh, but I could take, <laughs> but I could tell him to take that piss-soaked shirt and put it over and his, cover his face, face. like Nick Gage did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. as a mask. Oh, that's a good idea. Okay. And I actually have masks like Nick Gage, and I still went there. <laughs> Yep, wow. new guy won't be coming back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he, you know what he's thinking? He's thinking, Freeland, why? Why did I agree to this? All right, final comments from you about Nick Gage, because I know you have something to say. What What do you like about Nick Gage? Let me put it to you that way. What do I like about Nick Gage? Yeah, come back to me on that one. I don't... Okay. Like, good good I, job, new guy. Keep it up. <laughs> like, he's... Yeah, like... Again, I don't like the style too much. So there's not a whole lot I can say that. Well, you know, uh, a couple people said, and this is a comment made by, oh my gosh, I can't even work the board here. Uh, RHP4 says, Nick has a connection to his fans. That his, that's his biggest <laughs> asset. I would agree with that. I mean, I don't know how many people fit it. into that. Yeah. Uh, into that arena, not arena, the ballroom where they had the match with uh, Matt Cardona. But my, my buddy Josh Chernoff was the first person who got to talk to him after he came out of the ring. And that was some nuclear heat because they were throwing stuff right when he went to the interview position to go ahead and talk to Josh. So, Fucking I mean, he did, he did his job. He did his Fucking job. Marks. <laughs> God damn. Look, seriously, all, all joking aside, Yes. Why do anybody care about Nick Cage? Like, why is he so popular? I don't. I heard get he's it. a nice I person. I know he's he's turned the corner. He's a nice person. He you know oh, fuck him. donates money to charity now. No, he um, doesn't. He runs a homeless no. shelter for for animals. Nope. Um, well, he lives in a homeless shelter, not runs one. Wow. <laughs> this is terrible. Yeah. This is. Were you? I I don't know. I can't. <laughs> what? He's I love a redemption tale. That's my He's reason. Terrible. If anything, I love a good redemption tale. Yeah. That's, why not? The guy's it. the guy's not a bad guy. No, that, but that's if great. He, no, he did whatever he did. He 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 paid his dues to society, and he's back. Yes. Yeah, and. and and that's great. And as much as I love beating up on him, that's great. You know, he's he's you know turning a corner supposedly, and he's living right and all that good stuff. But I still don't see what the hype is around him. I just don't get it. I don't. Is it because you know of um, the dark side of the ring? Is is that why people all of a sudden know who he is? Probably. I just don't know. Well, that style of wrestling is like its own little underground popularity. And I think there's a connection to fans that really are just attracted to that level of, of style of wrestling that this panel, including myself, don't have interest in. But there's, there's, a, there's a segment of people, of fans, that just really love that style and you know, are enjoying you know, the next level of extreme above where things have gone since ECW kind of set the bar 25 years ago. And it's just, you know people have gravitated towards that, that bloodthirstiness of that type of style. And it's, he's the face of it. I mean, think about the pit bulls. They were doing some pretty wild stuff. The Sandman was doing some wild stuff. I mean, once again, GCW, and we're going to be talking um, to DJ Hyde. Uh, I just dropped that one. Did I tell anybody? DJ Hyde's going to be coming on the show. Uh, we're going to be talking yeah. to him uh, about a lot of different things when it comes to the extreme wrestling, such as the deathmatch tournament. 
uh, that they that they hold and um, his relationship with John Zandig. And I would love to pick John Zandig's mind as well. Maybe have him come on as well. So I would like to find out in Liam, you're going to you're me co doing the interview with me on that one, because I know you're a big John Zandig <laughs> fan as well. Oh, he's the best. Yeah, he's yeah. great. He uh, he abused his body more than Nick Gage, I think, and made yeah. more stupid decisions. But hey, do you fine. do you know what you can have a conversation with him about, Liam? Uh, but, about being a fucking moron, but I'm not. So I was <laughs> I was going to say about the time he tried to kill Joey Janela when they did the bump off of a building into the back of a truck and uh, oh, yeah, he lost I mean, stuff. how smart was that guy? I mean, how smart is Joey Janela? And then he's got John Zandig as his mentor. Oh man, how could that go wrong? <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not a big fan of uh, of Janella myself, but that's for oh, another conversation. Thank God. But you will be with yeah. me there on the interview. I, I want you there. Oh, You're going to sure, be my yeah. right hand man. I'll I'll be asleep in my bed when it happens. That's that's right. <laughs> yep. All right, we are uh, vastly approaching the twelve o'clock Eastern Standard Hour. So let's go ahead and let's start to the panel. Uh, let's first start with the butt. But where can people follow you? Social media, email. Uh, what's your home address? How can people find you and get a hold of you and <laughs> all that kind of stuff if they would like to hang out with the man known as the butt? Uh, Gotnoof two two nine one on Twitter. You know, send me a message. Whatever we can talk. That's about it. Anything going on that you would like to promote, plug, talk about anything like that? How's things going in your woodworking shop? Don't want to talk about it. All right. We will, <laughs> we will let that go. Uh, let's go over to Anton. Anton, where can people find you, follow you? You do great video work. You do audio work. If there's any artists out there, you can uh, hook them up in your studio. So go ahead and plug away. Anton Heidnick on Twitter, just like it's spelled every time it pops up here. A-N-T-O-N-H-Y-D-E-N-I-C-K. And I feel rotten. P-H-I-L Phil on Instagram. Same thing on the emails. Called at Gmail. Holler at me if you need anything. Very, very nice. Uh, let's go to Jack Daniels. Oh, man, I got a hiccup. Jack Daniels, uh, please tell everybody. Don't give me that shit-eating look. Uh, please tell me where people can find you. Well, don't tell me. Tell them uh, where they can find you, talk That's to you, right. interact with you, emails, uh, where you reside, uh, what kind of breakfast meat you like to have with your eggs, the whole nine yards. What the fuck? Okay. I'll go with the standard because you're just getting weird. I'll go with uh, Savage Liam. That is fantastic. We're so glad that Liam stopped by the show this week. Man, that is great. All right, I'm kidding. I, I kid. Damn go it. ahead. No, just go ahead and plug your stuff. Let me go ahead and let me put you back on full screen. Where, what, where can people find you email-wise and uh, Twitter? I'm not doing email because that's fucked up. Savage Liam on I really wasn't that interested to hear the last time, so we're going to let that go. Uh, let's go over to uh, Andrew. Andrew, oh. where can people find you, uh, contact you, the whole nine yards? Yeah, mostly Twitter. I'm at, an at Andrew W. Church on Twitter. That's pretty much where you can find me. And if anybody wants to continue this conversation, you open to all wrestling discussions if uh, listeners want to interact? Oh, yeah. Sweet. All right, let's go ahead and let's bring Liam back in here. Liam, let's try this one more time if you can... Uh, appropriately conduct yourself go ahead and plug away I, I was every time so i don't know what you're talking about i think we had tech issues we weren't really quite sure yeah on your end yeah uh savage liam on twitter can i go past that okay thank you savage liam 1978 on instagram uh search for liam savage on youtube i put up some uh new videos everybody can hopefully get into that probably not because they're metal videos and 
Everybody thinks my musical taste is shit, but that's fine. If you enjoy it, you enjoy it. That's great. And if I made just one fan out of that and one subscriber, I'm doing my job. Awesome. I doubt it. Hmm. Well, probably. Uh, who should we raid? Really quickly, anybody uh, got the screen up? Who, no, who no, raid? no, no. Should we no. raid or not raid tonight? Come on, we got to raid somebody. Let's raid somebody. No, we don't have anybody here doing the play-by-play for you, so it's not going to work. Does anyone know how, <laughs> I know how to do it? Anton, you know how to do the raid? I do not. I know. How to I do don't do it. enough. I know how to do it. <laughs> wow! Oh my god! I'm not yeah. quite sure if that was an animal or a human. <laughs> somebody what was needs that another smoke. Okay. Oh my god! Mark Chat says, "Smoke him if you get him." All right. Freeland. Okay, yeah. here's how you do it. Slash raid. Okay. Type it out. I did. Space. Got it. Name of the channel you want to raid. Perfect. Who Done. should we raid? Who should we raid right now? I don't fucking know. Who is on right now? Can somebody please check on their screen? Let's raid somebody and tell them that they should. Uh... Total Nonstop Impact is on as well. I'll make a choice, man. Oh, I'm going to. Good. Make a decision. All right. We're going to go ahead and we're going to do that right now. So we went ahead and we raided. So there's that. Anything else anybody else wants to say before the night is concluded? No? No. Excellent. I will close it with no. this. Guys, I have thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you so much for tuning in to another Tuesday night. On behalf of the RIT, on behalf of my esteemed panel, and for Crowbar, uh, if you did not get to catch that entire interview, please go on over to this channel after the show goes off the air, and you can see the entire interview. It is still on demand. Um, And please follow us on Twitch. All you have to do is hit the follow button. If you'd like to subscribe, we would always be more than happy to take your money. And you can always go ahead and hit that button on our YouTube page as well. Hit the like and subscribe and help us get the word out. For my entire panel, for Andrew, for Jack Daniels, a.k.a. Liam, for The Butt, who's not really happy right now, for Hide My Dick, and for Crowbar, I'm Mike Freeland. We'll catch you next week on Front Row Material.